So you think you're an arts fan? Okay, Draco Malfoy, can you handle this? It's the top grossing movies of 2001, part two. The totally crunkier that gave us these burning questions. Who put Topher Grace in my Brad Pitt movie? The one thing is, and this is like just his thing and stupid, but I'd have to pay you by check. Let's, or we could just stick to cash. Does Sean Bean always have to die? In fact, there is a website dedicated to your character's deaths called DontKillSeanBean.com. Yes. The website's front page reads, Sean Bean dies in everything, which is a shame because he is awesome. This blog is dedicated to ending the untimely deaths of Sean's characters in television and film. Help us save Sean oh. Bean. Oh, good. I didn't know about that. Isn't that That's nice? Promising, yeah. And just how many teachers are trying to kill those kids at Hogwarts? Why suffer an horrific death when you can join me and live? Never! Because you still use T9 to text your BFF. Admit it. It's Binge Movies 146. You have a list of movies so big and a season that has been so all over the place, you have to do something a little bit unconventional. In the lead up to this particular episode, I've had so many movies that, um, I don't know, I just put it like this. If you've ever seen footage of somebody who starts to have a manic episode on a plane and they start shrieking and crying and screaming and they have to be duct taped to a chair or if they're still at the gate, Maybe they were broken up with at the gate and are going nuts. They're throwing a temper tantrum in the aisle. That's pretty much my mentality after most of this season, kicking off with the police Academy films and then all the way through to like pretty much last week's uh, just debacle of the bottom, you know, 10 through six for 2001. Oh, awful movies. But then we did this 180. We did this pivot and the gates of, the gates of Rivendell opened up to me, and there was a elf witch on the outskirts of the woods, and she was beautiful, and she poured some liquid in the thing, and she said, bring in two guests. Bring in two fan favorites, people you haven't heard in years at this point. Bring them back to binge movies. First and foremost, Kat likes things, but she really loves things. <laughs> Does she love the movies this week? Not sure. Welcome back, Catherine Gonzalez. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Has it really been years since I've been on? About two years. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. In the middle of your audio, which means nothing, straight from what some people call heaven, other people call Florida, Robert. Yanez Jr. Robert, you still got books down there, or what's the deal? Uh, you know, we're, we're holding on to as many as we can. The, uh, the bonfires keep happening every night, and we're trying to... You know, we're trying to save the last vestiges of culture. I was going to say, how soon before Governor DeSantis comes into your personal dwelling place and starts taking some of your body or DVD and Blu-rays? <laughs> yeah, you ever seen the movie Equilibrium? It's kind of like that. We're like oh, a year or two away, I think, from that. Yeah, so, just uh, make sure you yeah. keep taking your uh, don't feel anything medicine in your neck or whatever. That way, right. they, you know, <laughs> you can't have any emotions. Yeah. I have two small children. If I had emotions by now, I'd be dead. So. 
<laughs> but your child's going to be hiding his medicine behind the mirror and he's going to teach you how to feel again, which is then you're going to have to then go to the capital of Florida, which I presume is Miami. Is Miami the capital? <laughs> no, it should be Miami, shouldn't it? No, it's uh, uh, Tallahassee, I guess. Yeah. Never heard of Tallahassee. I've heard of Jacksonville, Florida. Is that your capital? I think you're wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Tallahassee since I've lived here forever, but you know, it's mm, I'm, I'm pretty sure at, you don't have an, point, I'm pretty sure you don't have an education system down there. <laughs> so you don't know your capital. Where, where's the capital of Texas, Catherine? Oh, I don't know either. <laughs> you got, you guys still have books over there too, or are they, are those next on the chopping block? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> Rex, I think, Re, I think Rex, uh, Rex just ate the, the last of them. So, you know, oh, he's trying I to protect see. us. All right. <laughs> so Catherine is living through a last of a situation, thanks to a certain uh, Governor Greg Abbott, and you're living we have a through fungus coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're living through a um, uh, uh, equilibrium situation. Exactly uh, down there. So it's dystopian as fuck uh, in many places in America. We got to go back to the maybe the last great year of American history. Of course, I'm talking about 2001. Who knew that 9-11 was going to be the peak of our civilization uh, when that shit happened? But turns out it was. Uh, let's go back to 2001. Let's start at number five. We've got five amazing films for you, most of which I've already talked about on the Internet. So hence, two guests who have fresh opinions, fresh takes, uh, people who uh, are really good at this shit. So let's get started off with the fifth highest ranked movie of 2001 with a 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, the triumphant return of Steven Soderbergh. I'm talking about the coolest movie ever made. We'll find out. Ocean's 11. What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. You want to knock over a casino? 150 million without breaking a sweat. Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. He'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you. Ah! You scared? You suicidal? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. Check the batteries. Ocean's Eleven, rated PG-13, starts Friday, December 7th. Ocean's Eleven was directed by Steven Soderbergh. It was written by Ted Griffin. It is based on Ocean's Eleven by Harry Brown, Charles Lederer, George Clayton Johnson. It is a triumph return of George Clooney, not seen since the days of the perfect storm, which was about five episodes ago. It's a triumph return of Brad Pitt, not seen since the days of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which was about two episodes ago. It, it's a triumph return of Julia Roberts, not seen since the days of Notting Hill. Kat, was that you? Were you on the Notting Hill episode, or am I wrong? No. Uh, it's a triumph return of Matt Damon, not seen since the days of Robert. This ought to give you a shudder you down your fucking spine. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. I'm waiting for the apology. I, um, I. I, I wasn't the one that killed Rocky. I just helped Saving Private Ryan get to the fight. From what happens beyond that, it's, you know, I wash my hands of it from that point. You put it on the list, sir. You I put did. it on the list. All right. And it's the triumph return of Don Cheadle, not seen since the days of Avengers Endgame. This film was released <laughs> December 7th, 2001, on a budget of $85 million. It made, listen to this, $450.7 million worldwide. Eleven diverse grifters team up to prove the house doesn't always win. Every performance, every camera movement, every cut, every bit of dialogue is pure joy in this film. 
<laughs> I didn't know if you were done or what was I'm done. On? Listen to that ecstasy. Listen, listen to the rapture. Am I, am I alone here? Am I alone here? No. No, no. No, not at all. I had a, a synopsis as well. I had uh Oh, go ahead. The the era of the movie star goes out in a blaze of glory with a heist film that proves remake doesn't have to be a dirty word. Kat, you got a synopsis for us? I think when I learned that movies were just could be this cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was you 13, may- so I when oh, I first saw this. So yeah. this was one of those movies where I was like, oh my goodness. And I just realized a lot of these movies on this list were like sort of took me to the next level of maybe my early film criticism career. <laughs> it took you from Air Force One to the next level of Yes, exactly. Criticism. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the last of actual star power in Hollywood? It was really funny going back and watching these five movies from 2001 uh, because it does feel like the, a turning point for Hollywood where movie stars start, start to take a backseat to franchises. I mean, just in this one alone, you know, I one of the podcasts I host is called Franchise Detours. All five of these movies either had a prequel, a spinoff, a sequel. Like this, right. these were all the beginnings of franchises. And it feels like this this year is the same year that I think Tom Cruise was in Vanilla Sky, which yep. is another movie that only went to 100 million because Tom Cruise's face was on the poster. And so this feels like very much uh, the the last gasp of having a, a, a cast like this in a movie like this and being sold pretty much just on the fact that it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon and Andy Garcia in a movie. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily even, you know, there's no, there was no built-in audience really for this. I mean, my, you know, my mom and my aunt, who they're from New York, they love the Rat Pack. So I knew of the original movie mm-hmm. from 1960, but I have never seen it. And I venture a guess that most people haven't seen it. It was kind of uh, mixed reviews when that came out. And yet this completely reinvents that. And uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's partially the chemistry from these actors. And it's, the script is so, so like, uh, flawless, so, so fine-tuned. When you get to that scene where uh, there's a specific scene with, with George Clooney and Julia Roberts when he confronts her at, at the restaurant, and it's just like... like fireworks constantly like it's just it was, it was so it was as thrilling if not more so than like any big action sequence because it's just two actors at the top of their game with like a top-notch script playing off of each other and it was it was it was magical that that sequence was and it's just two people sitting at a table and it this kind of movie doesn't happen anymore it sounds like a cliche to say but an adult movie for grown-ups that's about grown-ups just talking and doing their thing and no cg and no you know no problem no effects like that. I think uh, it, it's it's a dying art form. You don't count Ocean's Eight towards that uh, list. Of- I actually like Ocean's Eight. <laughs> I'm a defender of Ocean's Eight. Uh, but yeah, but I mean that even that came out did well, and then people were like, "Yeah, no, we don't want that." Like they just put it aside. <laughs> where's where's my Ocean's Nine? I would be totally down for an Ocean's Nine. I thought that movie was a lot of fun. Cat, mm. when you were 13 years old, did you have a lot of uh, Frank Sinatra on your hit clips? <laughs> no, I didn't. You didn't have you didn't um, have a Rat Pack hit clip collection that you then inspired you to hey, I, you know, I really love uh, the original Ocean's Eleven. I got to go down to my local mall and see the the new version. No, no, I don't even because back then I didn't. I don't even think I had the internet, so I couldn't just Google <laughs> it. I would have had to go into the library and like figured that out. Yeah. Um, but I remember watching it, and on the surface, it's 
you know, the heist movie that's exciting, I guess, as the, as the kid part. But as I've, I, I still remember like my brother being really into it and he's not as into movies as I am. And like the whole family was into it and we really loved watching this. And I remember getting the DVD and just watching it over, over and over again. Um, and then as the years have gone by, I've like revisited every once in a while because I just loved it so much and then revisited it for this episode. I was just struck how good it is, how I think I took it for granted all those years ago. Yeah, right. You know, you just were like, oh, yeah, that was a good movie, whatever. And you're like, oh, that was a good movie. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah. and then you realize because there has been, uh, I mean, there have been trying to do like, oh, let's just put all these mega stars in one movie and it's yep. going to be amazing because you can look to this example. But then you realize that it takes a little bit more. Um, there's a little bit more nuance to that. It just it's not putting all these superstars sort of like when the basketball teams put all the superstars together. And they're like, we're going to win. And it's it's not about that. Um, yeah. So it definitely you realize how much um, chemistry Ocean's Eleven, the cast had, how it, they all like played their role really well no yep. one's trying to do more no one's trying to do less they're just doing what they do really well um and then when i saw it it was like oh man like george clooney as like charismatic con man like of course you believe him so much it's just so good and then brad pitt you know his eating all the time and just like it's just so good um and then i love that andy garcia i mean he was um a staple in our family growing up with my mom and we you know watching all his movies so just seeing him as the very handsome you know uh person but i didn't like that he would get screwed over by george Clooney because it's like julia roberts like that would be a hard choice right um but and then you and then when i was watching it this time i also realized that while there is a little bit of spectacle to this you know like i guess the marketing would have rallied in the superstar power of like oh come watch all these people but all these years later like what 22 years later it really is the substance that keeps yep. it so good because I think that's what's lacking nowadays is like people are like, let's just put all these people together. And then there's no substance, like just those little lines, the way they're delivered or, you know, the camera work, it feels so smooth. And yep. yet there's a lot of edits and things, but it's just really like it's really master craftsman, you know, at the peak. And I I think that's why it's it held up like, you know, even watching it now, I was like, yeah, I. I also I almost felt sad because I was like, why don't we have more of these movies right now? And you can see the movies that are trying to be like Ocean's Eleven and they yeah. just fall short, unfortunately. So I love Kat, it still. Kat, well, you're not on film sets or at film festivals hobnobbing with celebrities and directors. <laughs> uh, do you ever just reach out to Steve and go, how'd you do this, Steve? I'm sure you have his phone number, don't you? <laughs> No, I wish. I don't even know. I think sometimes with I think about like, what would I ask these people who like I love their yeah. films? And I was just I, I don't know what I would ask because it's just they they really is like starstruck, you know, like maybe I would have, you know, I would have obviously the obvious questions, but I would just be more in awe of like, how did you do this? Well, <laughs> it's just it's so good. Maybe maybe this is because I'm not actually, you know, like in the industry or connected to it in any way, shape, or form coming from sunny tropical Akron, Ohio, which is basically oblivion. Um, but I've always had the dream of if I ever got to meet any of these people, I would talk to them only about their either their most obscure films or their biggest failures. But I would be really excited about it. Be like, talk to me about whatever. Like, you know, you know, it's actually a, <laughs> a, a, a good a thing that you could do, because just from my experiences, don't talk to them about their movies, talk to them about other people's movies. Uh, and then you'll see 
you'll see in that those answers why like you'll get the answers you want for their movies in the way they talk about other movies that they look at you that's why you're a gamer (laughs) i would go julia talk to me about troy what happened (laughs) um i think the thing that's great about this movie is and upon this revisit is that I, i i came to this franchise pretty late actually i ended up watching all of them uh in a row like one night i was just like you ever just get in one of those funks where you're just like i'm not moving i'm not moving and i'm just gonna find something to watch and then that lip whatever you're watching kind of lifts your spirits and you're like i don't want this high to end and there's two more of these things and so Mm -hmm. it's like okay like okay and it was like winter time or whatever i had the blahs and so i ended up watching the whole trilogy and i'd seen like parts and pieces of all of them but to actually just sit down really genuinely give them my full attention i didn't do that till maybe about a decade ago and um i what's great about this film is that it gets all of the major notes and minor notes correct and i think both of you kind of alluded to that where it's like yeah the bank heist stuff is cool and you know the, the 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 scenes that need to work to drive the plot forward they all work they're all cool um but literally i don't want to say meaningless but interstitial scenes right like i i think of two things one is minor and one's real minor one is when clooney and pitt are at the bar and he's like oh, we got whatever we got 10 guys you think we need one more and pitt doesn't move he doesn't blink He's like laying his head on the bar and looking off probably to a TV or something. And just the camera angle where it's kind of shot low and up. And then he's like, maybe we need one more. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And just the timing of it, the pacing of it, the beat of it. And nothing has changed. Nothing. It's just such a cool execution of what could have been a pointless scene or just another scene another movie and i think so many movies it's like okay they get the big parts right for the most part they get the spectacle like you were saying cat they get the sizzle but soderbergh with this film takes the steak and also makes that sizzle and takes the sizzle and also makes that steak and and another example which is again really really minor is yeah we've seen brad pitt eat in every freaking scene of this movie or you know round almost roundabout right it's just constantly something in his mouth or whatever this that whatever it's just the subtle note of at the end when he's at the prison he finally gets heartburn <laughs> he's like oh <laughs> like, yeah. like it's it's just like a split second it's never addressed and there's so many moments throughout this film and almost here's the thing it's not just pitt or clooney or garcia who get those moments a Bernie Mac gets moments like that. Everybody gets a little moment where, you know, something that a continuous note they've played with that character has some kind of major or minor payoff. And we love all of these characters. Shout out to Bernie Mac, uh, rest in peace, who's really great in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, None of this works without everybody. It's the entire ensemble that pulls it together. And as far as like film analysis goes, Sometimes I get deep in the weeds with stuff, and presumably that's why people listen to a show like this, because I'm going to go deep into the weeds on Police Academy 5. But sometimes you don't need to go deep in the weeds. Sometimes the only analysis that suffices is this is cool. This is good. This is entertaining. And that's what this film is. Masterful direction, like you were saying, Kat. Masterful performances. The movie is just good. This, the biggest surprise is not that the movie is good for me. It's that after 22 years it's still good and it's still cool cool is something that's easy to capture in a moment 
so relatively speaking, I guess, but to be persistently cool for 22 years to transcend your own time and place. I think part of it too, I guess we could speak to this is the movie, other than a couple of the fashion choices for the most part, the movie could have, because of the music, the score, the way it's shot, it doesn't really look like a 2001 film. It, it's its own thing. It doesn't look like a sixties film, although it's got some of that vibe with the music, the, you know, casino jazz lounge music or whatever. But you could make this movie more or less today and it would be relatively the same. Yeah. Except uh, Brad's like frosted tips. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Some of the fashion, but also because these guys are like all con, con artists and grifters and yeah. weirdos and they all like, uh, you know, maybe they would dress like this now. <laughs> I don't know. Other than yeah, the they probably tips. Would. yeah. They probably yeah. would. Yeah. They probably would be <laughs> try to live out their old era or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, but it feels so, feels so timeless. And like, yeah. there are some things that will date it, like the, the technology or whatever. Like I was, um, it, it made me laugh seeing their, um, like really advanced, uh, like when they're doing, going over the plans and it's like the old Mac windows. Thing. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I was like thinking when I was watching that, I was like, Oh man, this is so cool. So like things like that, but even that feels cool. Um, and, and, and I like that what you're saying about um, everyone in this one. I think what people, what movies don't get right when they try to do ensemble ones is they try to overdo it with getting everyone gets their shine or some people don't get their shine because yeah. they don't know how to, they don't know how to balance it out with like a super, you know, the megastar. And here you had like, you know, arguably a lot of um, superstars like George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Andy Garcia, all of them, but they, it never felt like they were trying to compete with each other and they it felt like they gave them the right material where I guess they felt like they had enough substance in their yeah. own characters where they didn't have to be like, give me more screen time or give me this. Um, and then every, uh, you know, um, um, sub character would have their own moments too. And it was just as important. And I think yeah. that's why it, 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 it makes the movie so much, um, uh, richer with those nuances. And I think that's what it lacks today. I think people don't know how to do that or they kind of lean in towards like the, the the comedy that's not funny it's like in those little moments you don't have to make it funny like you said brad pitt didn't do anything in that scene and um with george clinton but it's it's like we put those pieces together because it's so real in some ways even though this is about stealing money from from uh yeah. from you know a casino but we know those moments as you know humans so i think it was just i don't know i love it so much i wish it, it's just the finesse i feel yeah. like and that goes yeah. with being cool People who are cool are not trying really hard. They're just cool. Yeah. And it's and and how would you translate that into a movie? Because that's kind of a hard thing. But Soderbergh did that, um, and he wasn't trying too hard. And I think that's why still twenty two years later, it doesn't feel like overdone because it is it is just what it is. It's just a good movie and it's cool. <laughs> well, because the performances are charming and the performances are humorous, you, the the dialogue doesn't necessarily need to be humorous. It's the performance, it's the execution that's humorous. And now we, we, everybody's trying to write quips. Everything's got to be quippy, quippy, quippy. Like you said, it's just like, and it takes you out of the movie because it's either like breaking the fourth wall or it's something that they, it's, it's something that's not true to the character. It's, it's you, I think now when they try to do this, you're hearing writers when people talk, it's like, oh, that's yeah. a script. That's a writer talking. That's a writer's perspective of the movie where it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, because it, like, I hate to do it, but like Marvel is a great example. A lot of the lesser Marvel works. It's like, we got to be quippy and we, everybody's got to sound like Robert Downey Jr. Even though his character's now dead for, but everybody, it's like, everybody's trying to write every character to sound like that. And they're going to break the fourth wall. and They're going to like, 
mentioned some controversy on the internet in the dialogue that these characters would like in this situation wouldn't even be thinking about. And so it's just here, everything that comes out of each one of these characters mouths seems like it would come out of that character's mouth. It's true to their individual characters, personalities. And it's just the, to use your word, finesse of it that makes and the charm of it that makes it humorous. So there's no real like laugh out loud moments in this movie. But you've got a smile on your face and you're kind of like internally <laughs> chuckling, chuckling like, yeah. the entire time. And yeah. the camera cuts, just that where they choose to cut, how they cut, that's charming. That's funny. It's the it's so yeah, if there's a if there's a way to make a movie where it's that is got this like just watch this movie. I know it's hard. You know, I just I wish more filmmakers would would watch this. And not try to emulate it per se, but figure out why does this work? It's very much a vibe movie, first of all. And it feels like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about with the style, with the tone, with the balancing and ensemble cast, it, it feels it's sort of like a uh, kind of a modern ode to classical Hollywood, even certain sequences. Uh, at the end, it's very romanticized. The end of it with Tess sort of walking over to Danny, realizing that he did a, you know, he did all of this to try and win her back. It feels uh, when when Kat was mentioning about Ocean's Eleven being sort of a, a you know something she would watch with her family. It, it reminded me of sort of a the kind of four quadrant again kind of adult movie that Knives Out is trying to be. Like I would say that's probably one of the most that's successful modern equivalents to yeah. something like this, where it's it it is bringing back a genre that isn't normally given much attention these days. The heist movie here, yeah. the uh, the Who Done It there. And it's and it's modernizing that sensibility while still being true to to the you know to the essence of what that genre is, and also with a little bit like a little bit of a playful sort of self awareness to it, not to the point where it undermines the story that's trying to be told, or like you were saying, Jason, where they're throwing in quips, you know, every two seconds, sort of, uh, I guess, diluting the the substance of the film. But but it's it's there, and I think also with this one, what makes it gives it that edge. Uh, is that the the Soderbergh the script is basically playing like four dimensional chess with its audience? Yeah, where they they give you bits and pieces of what they're planning, but yep. they hold the whole thing back so that you get to be a part of the process, but you also get to be surprised when you see the process yep. play out. That to the point that we don't even really understand uh, Danny's motivation for this uh, for this job until like forty five minutes in or whenever Julia yep. Roberts shows up. And then, you know, then the, the, the stakes start to shift and all of a sudden Julia Roberts is in your movie. Uh, and I think it, it gives it such a shot of adrenaline, like 45 minutes in. I think you just nailed it. I think this, this has a couple of like the tropes of movies or, or movie, like the premise or setups that I really love. Um, I love ragtag team movies when they're done well. Yeah. I love men on a mission movies when they're done well. And I love movies that are, that are one step ahead of everything. And the great thing about this is this movie is one step ahead. The characters in this film are always one step ahead of everything, but the movie's 20 steps ahead of its audience. Yes. And so, yeah, it's that sleight of hand where we're showing even you are being conned, right? The audience, we are conning the casinos, but we're conning the audience as we're con like you, you're, it makes you feel as if you've, you've joyously been grifted <laughs> where you're like, Oh my gosh, they just we're the 12th man. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah, they, yeah just, exactly. they just stole my wallet. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Matt Damon just stole my wallet, you know, and it's like, I didn't even realize. <laughs> and there's so many movies I did focus last season that try to do that. Mm. 
I didn't I didn't dislike Focus, but it was never 20 steps ahead of its audience. It was 20 steps behind its audience. Um, you know, you got the Now You See Me movies where it's like they write themselves to try to be that and they're like, um, holograms. We're all doing this by holograms. <laughs> it's like, you know, we got there. It's so easy to write up into the c- conclusion, but then the conclusion is you need a deus ex machina to come in and like explain away all the things that you can't explain through good writing. This movie doesn't really have that. This movie is like, this is how we did it. This is what we did. This is what you saw. This is what you didn't see. This is the part of the conversation we showed you, but here's the part we right. didn't show you. And that, that is as satisfying as the journey itself. So, okay. Yeah. We're going to do things a little bit different this episode because there's three of us and I just want to put your taste to the test. Robert Yanez Jr. and Kat. I want you guys to reveal your score, your rank. I will not reveal mine. I will reveal mine at the end. We'll figure out whose list I'm most closely aligned to. And that's the person I'll go with for the short list to cap off this season. Okay. Let's start with you, RYJ. What do you got? So like Ocean's said, 11 rank. What's the score, bud? So like I said, these are all the beginnings of franchises, right? Yep, yep. And the goal is to narrow down which of these movies has a shot at the vault. So for that reason, <laughs> no, because I'm, because I'm explaining, because I was, I was really stuck between a couple here. So yeah. I have Ocean's Eleven first. I have it first place on my list. Wow. At, at, at 9.25, because I edged it. I put my thumb on the scale because arguably there's another movie on this list that could have had that spot. Yeah. But I would argue this is the best of this franchise. And for everything we just said, it represents re- you know, a remake that could really work. It represents these actors at the top of their game. It represents, you know, the heist movie, all these things. Like in, in the vault currently, there's only one movie per franchise. If we're going to get an Oceans movie in there, this is the one to, to get. And some of these other ones, I would argue there's, there were better options for that franchise. So okay. we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But yeah, this is first for me. Talk about, again, two gamers. RYJ is thinking like three, again, three steps ahead. He's 40 chess. Wow. The mind of Mar-a-Lago here with us. It's amazing. Okay. Cat, uh, what do you got? This one ranks um, second for me. Damn. Um, it- <laughs> Yeah, and the, I mean, this is it was a hard one for this yeah. one because you have some of my like all time faves in this, and that like that's made why you're me both who here. I am, and yeah, yeah, in terms of my thing, so it's like killing babies here for me. <laughs> um, so, um, so it's it's really hard, but I do think, um, um, like to what you're saying, like I, I maybe could have edged it as like number one, but I mean, there's one that it's just it's too precious to me, I think, and and also in terms of film history as well, um. But I was surprised that I thought this one maybe would edge out another. I mean, another one would beat this one um, initially when I saw it. Um, but then I saw it. And I was like, it's too good. Like, mm, you know, the yeah. Soderbergh finesse is like yeah. is no other. And we need more of these um, um, in our world right now. So <laughs> it was like, even though I have a very strong tie to another one we're going to talk about. I was like, even my, you know, wait, wait. In, in terms of like my film brain, this one has to be above that one. You use the word precious, so I feel like that's a tell. <laughs> it, it's Shrek. Later on, but we'll yeah, get there. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, all right, so it's number two. What's your score? What'd you give out of ten? A nine. Nine out of ten. Holy shit! Okay. All right. Well, it's time to move on 
And there's another reason why both of you are here. In particular, RYJ. This is a triumph return for him. In regards to Pixar, we're talking about 2001's currently rated 96% of Rotten Tomatoes, Monsters, Inc. Would you listen to this? Blame it on the little guy with his one eye. The creators of Toy Story take you into the high-pressure world of Monsters, Inc. You little one-eyed cretin. Okay, first of all, it's cretin. If you're going to threaten me, do it properly. Billy Crystal, John Goodman. Where is he? Monsters Incorporated, Lady G, in theaters November 2nd. Robert, after this, I think you and I have covered together every Pixar movie <laughs> made in the 20th and early 20th, 21st century. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Monsters, Inc. was directed by Pete Doctor with a screenplay by Andrew Stanton and Daniel Gerson. It's a story by Pete Doctor and Jill Colton and Jeff Pigeon and Ralph Eggleston. It's a triumph return of Steve Buscemi, last seen in Reservoir Dogs just a few episodes ago in our Tarantino episode. It's a triumph return of John Goodman, not seen since the days of the Flintstones. Claire, I apologize. This is going to be a double hit for you because I hate the fucking Flintstones. And I don't think, I think Shrek is going to get its ass whooped again. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. Triumph return of Billy Crystal, last seen in The Princess Bride. Triumph return of John Ratzenberg, last seen with Ro uh, Robert on Toy Story 2, I think. Or was that you? No. We no. covered that in the top grossing movies. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it was released October 28th, 2001 at the El Capitan Theater, November 2nd, 2001 in the United States, and a budget of $115 million. It made $577.4 million. Steve Buscemi creeps into your bedroom at night. The Atonia keeps your limbs from fending him off as he creeps closer. You feel the suffocation set in. I have Pixar delivers an imaginative, insightful family film about corporate corruption and the monsters within. This. I actually hadn't, I had never seen Monsters, Inc. before. Whoa! Um, so my synopsis was the Monsters, Inc. kid I always hear about from my friends with kids, but I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this in 4K. The 4K of this is really lovely. You wouldn't think it'd make that much of a difference, but it really does to the point that you, when you look at Mike's, you know, he's basically a big eyeball, right? <laughs> you can see the texture on the white of the eye there is detail that i have never seen in this movie before now in some instances like sully's fur <laughs> that isn't necessarily a good thing in certain shots because you can see that oh boy we're pushing the limits of how hair can move <laughs> um there's other shots especially when it gets really fast paced that where the the HDR doesn't do this movie any favors. And yet there's still there's a couple where it and it kind of does help because it kind of gets rid of a couple jitters. So I don't know. It's it's uh, I think if there's a bit of if there, if there, uh, let me put it like this. I think if there's a case sorry Tom Cruise for motion smoothing or true motion or whatever your TV calls it. I think sometimes stop motion, especially older stop motion and some early CG animation, it actually does help smooth those movements out. Um, I think for everything else that involves like real people, turn that shit off. <laughs> Just turn it off. Let's start with you, Cass, since you've never seen it before. I'm gonna see if you and I are aligned here. Yeah, I was, um, I was, I was 
pressing play and my husband came in and he was like oh I love that movie and I was like what I was like yeah um and he's older than me so I was like, when did you watch this um but um so I was curious because so so no but that was actually like a seal of approval because he loves like animated films and yeah. graphic stuff so I was like oh it must be good on that level at least you know because mm-hmm. he, he likes that sort of detail and then I started watching I have to say like talk about chuckling I was like out laugh out loud chuckling throughout the whole film like and it and it was in a way because sometimes you go back and revisit these and for me this was my first time but some of the kid movies um you realize like they were a lot of innuendos or they were like a little bit like cringe and you're like oh i can't believe i was watching that or like even as an adult like oh that was like a little too much or it's very dated in the Mm -hmm. in the jokes this one it it was just funny like it was just like it holds up like watching it for the first time in 2023 i was just genuinely laughing and then i think it also helped me because now i have friends with kids and like a, a really close um uh you know friends they they dressed up as um as as this you know like the little eyeball was like the her pregnant belly and then you know like the little kid and so like and so I actually kept imagining my friend as the characters because was like you know like the little girl and stuff yeah. like that and so I think it also kind of I saw it from that lens as well of like you know just like a little bit cute because I think if I had seen it when I was a teenager it might have been like oh you know like little kid yeah, whatever mm-hmm. um and so I kind of I I enjoyed that it was just like super cute and the and the little um boo and and then the monster and then also because I had seen another movie in our list um before this which I think heard it <laughs> um I was like the technical tech tech advancements of like the fur I remember there being um conversations around that um and just like seeing it um I didn't see it in 4K I just saw it on my you know I guess oh I don't know if it's 4K but I rented it or whatever on Disney Plus um. And it was just beautiful. I was like, wow, this is still better than some of our CG from other films. Yeah. I'm like, you guys should, whatever they did, you know, get that. <laughs> um, and so you can see how advanced they were, um, Pixar back then and, and you know, and how far they've come. But it was like really um, at the top of their game because it was 2001, yet it still holds up. And that's kind of hard yeah. to do in terms of mm-hmm. that. So you just see the crafts, again, another craftsman in their, in their game of, wow that was that was really beautiful um and and really cool like i was mesmerized by um by um you know sully's fur and i luckily i didn't see it in the in that smoothing thing that you said or whatever the the 4k version but i still i think i still would have been like i mean you got to give it a little bit of leeway because it was 22 years ago you do that with some some movies today you're like oh i'd rather take sully's fur you know (laughs) even in 4k um yeah so i don't know i i was i was pleasantly surprised because i I really saw the list. I was like, oh, I don't want to watch. This. You know, like I was just like, whatever. And then when I saw it, I was like, wow, this was so good. This was so good. I was like, who am I to have judged this? You know, um, no wonder everyone kept saying how much they loved this movie. Um, and, and 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 it is for for all ages, because even, you know, for me and then my husband came in, was like watching a little bit of it and like laughing. And we're, you know, it was just like it was so cool. And Rex was watching it sleeping. So I think he enjoyed it. So yeah. <laughs> um, but I I was pleasantly surprised, and I'm glad I finally um, crossed it off my list. And um, yeah, Pixar it was just yeah top of their game back then. They've you know Robert, you and I talked about this in the Pixar episode. They've gotten mm-hmm. real; they got real conceptual the further they yeah. went along, right? And some of that works, and some of it doesn't work. And I, and there is a high concept here of like there is a almost like 1950s or Metropolis style mechanicalization of terrifying children and it's not just for the purpose of 
monsters are bad because screams and fear powers the monster right. city or whatever. Yeah. The world behind the monsters in yeah. your closet kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And so, but that that's it. That's where it ends. It's not like, and then we're going to go inside the head and confront your parental trauma from when your mom died in that car accident. Like, it's just a little girl who do, just doesn't, who's like a toddler, basically. Mm-hmm. And the monster's in her closet and a little bit of the corporate, esp- corporate espionage. <laughs> but it's not... <laughs> It's not so high concept that it it feels like it's got too many plot plot machinations right. behind it. It's is a that- kids movie about an energy crisis too, which I think is an interesting <laughs> thing to point out. <laughs> and also, yeah, going about it the wrong way, like right. getting the screams That's instead true. of laughter, yeah. like maybe not oil, and we should do something else. Joy yeah. is the ultimate <laughs> renewable energy, folks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need no, to pow- I- power our society with with. With laughter and joy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's ultimately the movie's about the power of laughter, which I think is is a nice message for for families and kids. Uh, but you no, know, to your point about the animation, like it it reached a certain point where Pixar, I think, was just trying to challenge themselves. Like, what's hard to do? Hair. Okay, we're gonna have a big furry guy yep. as our protagonist. <laughs> what else is hard to do? Water. And then the next movie is Finding Nemo. Yeah, you know, they, they were basically trying to push the uh, push the boundaries on everything. So I, this is a movie I saw in theaters. I saw all of these in theaters when they when they came out uh, in 2001. I was working at an AMC, so I had free movie from free tickets all the time. Uh, but also, this is a movie that I've always liked, but I haven't really ever loved. Like I always considered it like yeah. the not because we did a whole episode on our on the five best Pixar non Toy Story Pixar movies. Yep. This didn't come up, so I think I feel like people that have heard that episode that's that's a little telling. Yeah, on uh, you know my my thoughts on this movie, like I I feel like it's upper second tier of Pixar, if that makes sense, uh, because I do love the the uh, the imagination that goes into this world, the whole uh, the whole third act sequence with the th- uh, with the doors going in and out of doors to different places, and like the the sort of assembly line, the the like you were saying, Jason, the machinery of of all the doors carried throughout the factory, all of that stuff was really fun. Um, the voice performances by John Goodman, especially, and Billy Crystal. Yeah. Uh, we even get like a little bit of a, a Lebowski reunion with John Goodman and, and Steve Buscemi, yep. which is fun. Um, the the Randy Newman score, like there's everything here is 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 really solid. Uh, it just doesn't for some reason, it just doesn't go to that next level where a movie like like the ones we talked about on that episode, Incredibles, yeah. Inside Out, Coco, uh, even Finding Nemo. And I forget the other one now. Um, oh, Wally. Those that those films, those are the ones we discussed there. Yep. Uh, it does. It doesn't quite reach that level, but I mean, it is an impressive accomplishment. Uh, it did lose the Oscar to the other movie on this list for animated feature, which I think is interesting to where these films were when they came out and how they stand now, twenty two years later. Oh, but we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know we will. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I agree with both of you. This this definitely uh, holds up way more than you would you would expect twenty two years on uh, from a visual and a narrative standpoint. And I, you just reminded me of this film also for a Pixar movie. It didn't make me cry. No. Like, that's like one of, one of the first, like, and not, that's not a bad thing, but usually I'm always like crying in the Toy Story movies or all of these other ones yeah. and I get a little choked up. And this one was more like, like it was really just laughter and like you, you get a little bit emotional with the little girl and like, you know, um, how Sully misses her and stuff, but it was never enough to like push me over the edge. So maybe in that sense too, like it doesn't hit as hard, but I think yeah. also there's, there's something really magical and just also not having to go to that level of 
um, especially if kids are watching this or whatever, you don't want to always have to go to that deep emotional level. <laughs> like it's just, it's nice to be like, yeah. you know, monsters are scary, but you know, this can be this. And it's like more of a lesson kind of thing, even for me who, you know, I sometimes don't want to sleep with the light off, you know, like, it's like, okay, it's just like, maybe there's a monster zinc somewhere. Um, so I think it was just, it's really, it was just really, it's really nice. Like it, it was just kind of like, it's, it's just like a, kind of a solid movie. It's yep. like not, maybe not the yeah. best one, not the whatever, but it just feels like it's kind of hard to hold up 23, I mean, 22 years later. And the fact that it does, I feel like that's also, I don't want to knock it, but it's just really like really solid. I was just gonna say, I don't think it's a revolutionary film in terms of like yeah, storytelling yeah. or, Oh my gosh, this is where, you know, Pixar. Yeah. They're, they're pushing the envelope, I think tech wise, but it's not so much like, Oh my gosh, this is where Pixar just went to that next level of storytelling mm -hmm. and craftsmanship. Um, it's just a very like sweet, charming movie for me. There's really only one part of it that I just, I've never liked, I guess I've only seen it. I mean, two, three times, but every time I'm like, I know why it's there. It just throws the pacing off and I don't find it funny. It's the Yeti, that whole Yeti thing <laughs> with the snow cones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, fuck, get out of this. Let's John Ratzenberger on. has to work. That's what it is. I think. I, I, don't mind. I really like somewhere. the Yeti. The Yeti fur though is cute. I, like you can see the texture. Yeah. I like that. It's not. It's not. <laughs> they were showcasing the others. The other tech uh, they had. The snow <laughs> tech. Yeah. 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 It's not him, right? It's not the performance. I'm glad he's in the movie. You know, that was kind of the he showed up in all these movies for okay. a while. Um, and it's like, okay, all right, that's fine. I like, I get it. And but I just, it just wasn't. I don't think it was that part was written well. I don't know how to explain it. I was just like, oh god, it just went on too long. But to the the plus side, the thing that always sticks with me, and in particular this time on this revisit, is I love the fact that the final shot of the movie is Solly's expression, but we don't see the girl. Yeah. And there's a couple of things which is um, we don't know what the passage of time has been. Yes. So we don't know how old she is, right? Really. Um, and, um, it's just like, I, I don't, it captures that, that one moment is what I feel like some of the other Pixar movies, like the whole movie feels like that moment. Mm, yes. And this movie only has one of those moments. Now it's extremely, I think, well done and very powerful, but it's like the last shot of the movie <laughs> is probably the, the most Pixar-y Pixar feel if that makes any sense so uh yeah. and because of that i think the rest of it, it's good it's charming it's sweet it's again it's not a tearjerker it's not um uh it's it's just kind of you know it's just it's a buddy movie you know and these buddies are it's it it feels i guess more this is gonna sound so bizarre because it's what pixar is but it feels a little more cartoony you know what yeah. i mean it feels more like a, a cartoon movie and that's it's and the thing is, I think what we're all saying is that's okay. It's okay to be that. Yeah. It's okay that it's not like, oh, this is in the pantheon of the greatest Pixar movies ever made. Because even for the most part, even a mediocre Pixar movie, and I think this is above mediocre, but even a mediocre Pixar movie is typically better than a lot of other movies. So um, this this is I would put that in that like A minus B plus tier where it's like. It's not transcendent. It's not revolutionary. It's just very, really good. Yeah. It felt like a longer short in some way, like one of their shorts. Yes. Like, cause yes. the concept is very simple yet that that's not necessarily a bad thing. They just do it very well. Yep. Um, because yeah. there's some movies who are, they're trying to do 
um, they can't do that simple. Well, you know, like yep. it would be kind of boring or whatever. And this one, I was, I mean, I was chuckling the whole time. So I feel like there was some, it wasn't like, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, whatever, you know, yep. this is so silly. And this is so, I, I did think at one point I was like, Oh, is this it? Like, I thought, I think I was getting confused <laughs> with, um, with the, um, what's the, the, the one with the acorn, the, the little oh ice age other, ice age ice age yeah so i think i i had i think i always confuse these with that like you know this monsters inc with that yeah. one like in my head because oh, i've never really seen that one fully as well and so then i was like wait where are they, when, when are they going to the thing and i was like oh wait this is like this is not yeah. what that is and then I, and then i kind of like settled into that and i was like you know what but it's so nice like it was just yeah it was like the last movie i watched in the yeah. in in this group and i was just it was like a really just kind of like a nice riff like pleasant just like yeah palette cleanser like nothing is you know too bad like i would probably put this on while i'm crafting again you know just like a nice yeah. little yep. like nothing too harsh but like it's my i i put movies on instead of like music when i'm doing stuff so it would be nice to just have it in the background well to your point like because it's so simple you don't really have to pay attention to it. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you know it's like it's it's just it's very amiable it's and a pleasant rock. They have uh, to, yeah, yeah, to get this girl back to where she belongs, and that's the story for yeah. And then the like runtime, yeah, yeah. Then like a little, then like certain set pieces, you know, it gets loud or it gets fast, and that or it gets funnier, and that catches your attention, and you're like, oh, okay. And then for me, the Yeti part comes on, and I just go, okay, well, <laughs> now's the time I'm going to take the garbage out and feed the dog. By the time I come back, yeah. they'll be back from Siberia or wherever, and then we'll be, you know, <laughs> we'll get on to the rest of the movie. So yeah, are you going to say think- something, Robert? Yeah, I think, well, a few things. One, I think that sequence at the end, those last two minutes are what really give this movie a lot of its heart. Like yeah. you said, like the whole movie is about their friendship. So I think it's very important that Mike is the one that went through all the wood chips to try and put the door together and yep. sort of brings their, their friendship because there's various points in the movie where they're not on the same page. Uh, and then I always imagined that, it, you know, I was always hoping that they would do a sequel, like if they were going to do a sequel to something to see what happened. I always imagined that would be like Boo's daughter and it would be like, she's grown up and that would be like the, the take on this, on a sequel. Instead, we got a, a prequel with Mike and Sully in college for some reason, which is fine. Um, and, uh, and as far as the Yeti thing, it feels like Pixar who's, who's usually like so pitch perfect with their world building, just falling a little too much in love with the idea that even Mike mentions at one point, that, oh, you know, the Loch Ness Monster, oh, you know what happened? They got exiled. And when we get a little taste of that later yeah. on, I yeah. feels like they took that joke, like they literalized it a bit too much. Uh, but the other thing that struck me watching it now, and it could be just watching it in this political climate, is like how much like the kids are demonized and it, and it really leads into like, uh, you know, the kids are toxic, 2319 with the sock and all of that. Oh, yeah. And it right. feels like this misinformation, like this misplaced fear, like the fear mongering and that kind of being harness for energy it felt very sort of pointed like social commentary now a little bit watching it these days yeah they're, they're animating their society off of the the power of other rising right right yeah it's like well these these kids are monsters like the kids are monsters to the monsters the monsters are monsters to the kids obviously <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like as long as you can keep these you know if as long as you can keep these stereotypes going we can power we can hoard this power for ourselves and yeah yeah Rule the monster. The, the people who created didn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, what we're saying is the movie's pretty good, but it's not great. So we know it's not going to be Robert's number one. Robert, where does it land for you then? I had this at fourth at, uh, with the seven point eight, which is to me is like again, like you were saying, a minus B plus kind of category. 
uh, for this one. Like I said, not not the best of Pixar because it doesn't go that extra mile that some of the other ones we mentioned do, but I still think it holds up really well. And there's there's a reason that I feel like a lot of kids gravitate towards this one yeah. over the movies like Coco or Inside Out where it's so emotional and then the parents are crying the whole time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the, this It does feel it's lighter, it's more accessible in that way. It's less complicated, but I mean, that doesn't mean it. That doesn't make it any less valuable, is I guess my point. So, would this yeah. movie have been better if Sully had had an abuelita who was <laughs> who died from dementia? I mean, pro- I mean, probably. Honestly, I'd be down for that. Yeah. Give me, give, That's what I mean, though. After dementia. a certain point, they're just like, "Yeah, your parents are getting divorced. Yeah, your mom died in a car accident." They just go the Stan Lee route of it, where it's like, "Yeah, we'll kill a parent, Excelsior." You know, <laughs> <laughs> how do we get pathos into these characters? Murder their parents, give their grandma dementia, you know, whatever. Um, Kat, where's this rank and what's the score for you? Yes, this ranks fourth as well. And um, I gave it an 8.0. Okay. All right. I have a feeling, Kat. The the thing that did, I will say that did surprise me that they were kind of uh, showcasing child uh, torture in this. <laughs> I was like, that's crazy. I was like, I was even like, uh, my husband came in. I was like, oh my God, are they going to like torture the kids? I was screams. <laughs> so that surprised me. And I actually kind of liked it better, more for that. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have kids in a movie, torture them. <laughs> it's a binge movie's rule of thumb around here. They're resilient. They can take it. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> all right, let's move on to a movie I've already covered. Now it's time to see what Kat has to say, what Robert has to say. I'm going to prepare you both. Claire from W Rated, amongst many other things, might flame your inboxes and your tweets, or you very might you might get a sternly worded subtweet. Although she doesn't really subtweet, she just quote tweets. Let's move on to 2001 Shrek, which currently has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. They may not trust mankind, <laughs> but on March 15th, prepare for the ice age. They have to save it. Oh, that's perfect. Ray Romano. You're an embarrassment to nature. Do you know that? John Leguizamo. Captain Iceberg ahead. Dennis Leary. <laughs> and Scrat. We are the weirdest herd I've ever seen. Ice Age. I'm pooped. Three, two, one. Rated PG. March 15th only in the Shrek was directed by Andrew Adamson and Vicki Jensen. It was written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, Joe Stillman. George S.H. Schulman is a triumphant return of all of these people because I've already covered the entire Shrek <laughs> franchise. It was released April 22nd, 2001 at the Man Village Theater, May 18th, 2001 in the United States on a budget of $60 million, so considerably less than Monsters, Inc. It made $487.9 million. Fairytale tropes get fractured. When the monster becomes the hero and the villain is unrealistic body standards. Are they body shaming Farquaad? Are they penis shaming him? We've already covered that. We've already done all the dick jokes. Feel free to add your own, Cat and Rob. Now's your time to talk about the sexuality and the horniness of the Shrek franchise. <laughs> Does Shrek fuck Robert? Go. I mean, not in this movie. That's not just clear. That's probably why he's so angry. Um, I, I had the not Walt Disney Company presents an irreverent fairy tale that turned the world of animated film on its head. Yeah. Yep. Cat. For better Shrek or worse. Fuck. Yeah, for better or worse. Cat, does Shrek fuck? <laughs> I don't know about that. No comment. Um, but 
This one, because this is the way I remember it, um, is those two really catchy Counting Crow uh, songs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, go ahead. I don't know. I remember. I remember loving this movie um, so much, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And um, I wish I hadn't seen it again. <laughs> I would have just had it. I wish I would have just had it in my, um, in you know, in my nostalgic. Like that was a great movie. Um, so we've talked about and, this. I mean, other, we've done the show before with our guests. We we talked about nostalgia busters. Was this a nostalgia buster for you? It was just like a realization. I was like, it was one of the, it. It didn't like bust it completely because I still appreciate yeah. it because I remember the impact it had on me in, in terms of like um just thinking like wow animation is like it felt edgy it felt like i was you know um like i was in on the joke you know like it just felt yep. like oh this is cool and and stuff like that and um and 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 then like the song usage and and stuff i remember just being so obsessed with that and um i think also princess fiona just being a badass and not having to be rescued yeah. um and then her being um also an ogre kind of like busted that myth although rewatching it it kind of also is dated in those scenes especially like the fat shaming yeah. and the ugly the talk around being ugly and things yeah. like donkey is really kind of mean <laughs> like, like he doesn't mean to be um but there was some moments where i was like oh this is not a good thing and this is sort of like but that was this is that was our society back then like we were okay talking about yeah being ugly and, and fat and things like that and making it an, a bad thing so those kind of made me cringe a little bit because i was like i definitely are i'm more of the fiona ogre type you know so I, was like, <laughs> I was like it was being a little bit i was a little offended you know i was like what um but uh so you know all that but then i i do think it kind of ushered in a new era of like of what animation become and we see we you know we've seen that as what you know things have come out now um in the years after um, so I do think it's like a, it was a game changer, yeah. but I do think this one, unlike Monsters, Inc. feels dated. So I, I try to appreciate it from what I, when I saw yeah. it in that moment of like what we hadn't had. And then now Bingo. I'm like, oh, we can, yeah, yeah, we can, we can appreciate it for, for what it brought in and like how it changed the, la the landscape in yeah. terms of, you know, all these films. But I definitely um, think that there's some things that are a little bit problematic about it but I will still have the nostalgic feeling towards it, but a little bit like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So that's how the, yeah. that's how I felt. And also not even, not even just the story. Um, I saw this one and I was like, Oh, the animation, blah, blah. And then I saw monsters Inc. and I was like, Whoa, that was like, I, and I was, and, I, yeah. and I, I remember thinking like the animation was pretty good, you know, yeah. when I was 20 years, some 20 years ago, but then just seeing that comparison and it's the same year, I was thinking like, you would think that monsters Inc. was made, now and then like shrek was made the 20 years yeah, ago yeah, like yeah. it really does feel dated in that sense so it doesn't hold up so you can see like obviously this was like a newer um like dreamworks was barely starting their animation right yep. so you can see like they weren't at the they weren't ahead like pixar was so i also will give them a little bit of leeway for that but it's sort of in technical craft and also just like the story it doesn't hold up as well as as monsters inc yeah so i think to your point we, a generation, two generations, three generations, I guess by this point, maybe four, uh, have been raised pretty much on the mainstream movies that were animated, at least in the United States, that got theatrical releases, were Disney. Then in the 80s, a bunch of those animated artists left, They and then Don Bluth got started, and they started their own group. And those movies were darker and weirder. 
and but for the, but they were still kind of kid friendly and fairy tale. If they weren't complete fairy tales, they felt like fairy tales, right? So, like Littlefoot's mom dies, and it's pretty freaking brutal. But you could hearken it back to like Bambi and go, okay, well, this is kind of like Bambi, maybe just a little, like a little darker for the eighties or whatever. Um, and so I think there, that in two thousand one, there was this, I guess, our generation or approximate to our our age because we're all fairly close in age, like we were all hitting our teen years. We're sort of aged out of Disney movies. Disney, the Renaissance was also sort of over. I was starting to hit this lull. Sorry to fans of Emperor's New Groove, but it was hitting this lull and all this sort of stuff. And here came a movie that felt very attitudinal. It felt very almost teenage in its sensibility where it's Mm -hmm. like, we're going to present this thing that you've seen your entire life in an animated movie, but we're going to have these sort of, kind of even though it's 2001 kind of late 90s like sensibilities where we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna take it there shrek takes it there you know you know and there's obviously like like dick jokes and dick size jokes in the movie and there's this and that and it's like the, the, it's, a lot of the humor is more mean-spirited and it's it's very much more like what teens or preteens were like in the early 2000s, your sensibilities yeah. where you're like, you're just starting to realize that sex is a thing and you're joking about it, but you don't really know what the fuck you're talking about. And, you know, and it's like, you're starting to get the innuendo, right? It's not going over your head. It's you're like, Oh, I get it. I get it. And that's, there was, I don't want to say that Shrek was risque, but it felt, um, yeah, it felt like they were sort of breaking a bunch of taboos and saying things that couldn't be said before. And it was like, pushing the envelope and now as adults so many years later it's just sort of like eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> i get it ogres are horny we're all horny we're all living our life we're sweaties we're shrek sweaties we get it there's a whole whole community i learned uh, of shrek sweaties out there and sexy shrek <laughs> memes and whatnot <laughs> oh so you know i think this i think if you were a slightly younger than maybe us you took different lessons away from this. Like, you know, Shrek is a sex symbol. So Robert, have you ever been sexually attracted to Shrek? (laughs) Not even slightly. Um, (laughs) No, uh, this is like you guys were saying, this is the most conflicting of the movies this, this year. Like I said, I was working at an AMC at this time. And I remember the, the, the credits music from this, like still, I still get PTSD to be like, Oh no, I remember that hearing that the bazillion times because this movie was in theaters the entire summer. This is the summer that Disney put out uh, Atlantis, the lost empire to your point, Jason, about the like changing of the guard basically with, with this movie. Uh, And I, I think, you know, it's, it comes from, I think Jeffrey Katzenberg was really a former exec at Disney was really instrumental in this. So there's a lot of like, purposeful digs not only at fairy tales in general but specifically at disney the yep. the duloc song is obviously a, a you know a small world kind of uh reference things like that but I, I agree with both of you the story has is a little more problematic than it used to be the jokes are way dated mm-hmm. uh you have mike myers doing like austin powers riffing like halfway through this like when he does the like uh, they're they're talking about our uh, far quad being short and it feels just like you know in austin powers it was like that's not the way to get ahead in life <laughs> Yeah. You'll never be the head of a major corporation. It's like that kind of thing, that kind of level humor. Yeah. Um, and, and the references, there's the Matrix reference. There's 
there are guests at the at the party at the end doing the Macarena, which I noticed again this time. Yes. I'm like, wow, yeah. really? Well, um, Macarena would have been dated even by 2001. Yeah, that's standards. what I'm saying. Holy shit, exactly. that's what, 95? Jesus. Um, and the animation, which at the time looked new and fresh, feels very a little bit CD-ROM-y yes. for, for the time now <laughs> yeah. looking at it. Yeah. Uh, my wife even, you know, was around when I was watching it, and she was even she even noted that, like, the mouths don't necessarily... Like they sync, sync up, but they yeah. they do, but they're not as detailed. They're just like flapping their mouths up and down. It's not like they're not their face isn't contorting like the way your face actually moves when you speak. Yeah, um, which I think is is you know a little bit of a testament to the limitations, perhaps budget budget wise at that point. Uh, and like we said, CG was kind of in its early days, so I I don't know. Like I appreciate it as more of a cultural artifact than a movie that holds up twenty two years later. And it's also to my earlier thing about viewing it as part of the franchise, I would say hands down Shrek 2 is better than this. I think Puss in Boots The Last Wish, which came out last year and now has made me actually think about the Shrek franchise for the first time in like over a decade, uh, is way better than this. So I, you know, even well, the original its own, I think the original Puss in Boots is better than this. I haven't seen that in a while. I need to revisit that. I really like yeah, the probably. original. Yeah. Uh, but it's like mid-tier, if not bottom tier of its own franchise. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that does that says a lot about you know how it's aged. I think twenty. I saw on. all of them in a row fairly recently, minus obviously Last Wish, which hadn't come out yet. But um, right. is this the one? Because I, I, I can't remember, even though I just watched it again, I can't remember. Is this the one where uh, Pinocchio is revealed to be a, uh, a transvestite? No, that's one of the one of the more problematic instances in two. That's I see. In two. Right. There's stuff in two right. that I will not defend. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yes. yeah. Okay. And also watching it this time around, Fiona is just. I remember thinking like, oh, it was really cool, you know, like having her as like a badass princess, yeah. whatever. And then you just realize how generic she looks, and like yeah. in the princess form, and it was almost off-putting a little bit. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was just. It was just like. I mean, I guess it was like their first one, and it was the budget. And they were kind of emulating all the Disney yeah. princesses kind of thing but i was just like i don't know it looks kind of weird too it's just um it, it just doesn't hold up so I, I wouldn't it would be if you want to show this to your kids i would show it like probably earlier than the other ones because i feel like it would just be hard for them to i mean not, not that they need to appreciate this but i would just think like oh they're really going to be put off by it <laughs> like i don't know when yeah. you would show this to a kid because i would i would like want to show it to them to like show them like this is what how you know this cultural like you said yeah. artifact yeah. But I don't know how they would like process it given all the stuff that they watch is so much better now. <laughs> yeah, I think really there's just going to be an entire community of Shrek body pillow waifu owning fans who are going to end up flaming you guys. They're just going to be like, I got. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a whole thing around this. My and, Shrek, uh, but, Japanese you know. Shrek waifu body pillow that I sleep with every night. <laughs> we, but i'm not dogging shrek like actually i was like i appreciate that there was like at least representation back then of like being a little bit more fluffy so being a little bit more fluffy um, having very unclean ears farting in public yeah things we'd all do yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, using the candle wax to light your dinner table yeah being very angry at your neighbors and screaming at them and being discriminatory towards other species we could all relate <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your score? What's your rank for Shrek? Mine is a five. Yeah, mine is, my, it's fifth. And I would say it's uh, like 6.5. Ooh, shit. <laughs> wow. Okay, Robert. 
So I had it also at fifth. I was a little kinder than than Cat was. Uh, <laughs> I gave it a seven point three. Again, I don't. I I I really like some of the stuff. Like I love the subversion of fairy tales. I think that there's some some clever moments. I like the the arc that uh, Shrek and Fiona's relationship has. Like I li- I like the way that develops, especially in the second one. But mm-hmm. it's set up here with the happily ever after, and then the sequel, you know, digs deeper. Uh, there's I think it has changed a lot of animation uh, animated film after this point like we talked about for example everything now ends with a sing-along this, this was like every animated movie ends with them having a sing-along and i feel like yeah. that's the trope that's really kind of started here and it does it's done a lot of harm and a lot of good but i think now hang more, on more, no more way than good no hang not on, a lot Robert. of good franchise detours tells me yeah as well as binge movies Movies that, that that originally ended with singalongs were the Muppet movies. That's true. I Almost guess, for, every, but they're not. Those aren't animated movies, though. So, oh, I Muppets see. are in their you, own category. You, they're in their own category of <laughs> because film. now that the Spickle with Me ends in a, in a singalong, and like the Trolls movies ends in like it's like. That's I mean, the Troll thing. movies are just one giant singalong. That's pretty to much Kids Bop records, right? Is it <laughs> basically? Yeah, um, Kids Bop the movie. So yeah, so that's where I land. Like it's obviously to me the worst of this bunch, but it's it's still got some merit. It's just you have to sift through all the all the stuff we were talking about. Well, you heard it here, Robert and Cat both say Shrek is dog shit. It's time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Two. Don't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that currently holds a ninety-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, the second highest grossing movie of two thousand and one worldwide. It just is a testament to the highest grossing movie when you think about it. Jesus, man. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. The shadow has risen again. The Dark Lord Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands of darkness. It must be destroyed. Directed by Peter Jackson. Rated PG-13. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring was directed by Peter Jackson with a screenplay by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boynes, and Peter Jackson. It's based on The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. It's a triumph return of Sean Astin, last seen in Toy Soldiers. Triumph return of Elijah Wood, last seen in Deep Impact. Triumph return of Sir Ian McKellen, last seen in X-Men, Days of Future Past. One of the very few good X-Men movies in the MCU will never top it. Uh, Trump Return of Liv Tyler, last seen in the days of Armageddon. Trump Return of Kate Blanchett, <laughs> last seen in Ragnarok, who is fantastic in Tar, if you haven't seen her in that. Uh, I think I'm in love with Kate Blanchett. I don't think I realized that. I think <laughs> that I saw Thor Ragnarok and the smoky eyes and the dark hair and the evilness of her, it awoke something in me, like Dean Pelton, it, it, that now I, I, will dr- I will dress up in a payday bar and dance outside of Kate Blanchett's uh, house. Prisons recruiting them, police be shooting them, rap artists looting them, labels all diluting them, Barack Obama is scared of me because I don't swallow knowledge and I spit it, but ring, let me clear my throat. <laughs> I don't know what that was, I don't. I don't know what that was. 
I just think that she is stunning. I didn't think that in 2001. I thought she was creepy. But I think that, I don't know. I didn't think that in Ocean's 8 either, right? But I there's just certain things where I'm like, I think Kate Blanchett is against all type. Other than being evil. It's, I guess I guess what I'm really saying is I'm only attracted to Kate Blanchett when she's actively evil. <laughs> what does that say about my psychology? I don't know. But I think she's, uh, yeah. And she's an extreme talent. Oh, my gosh. Uh, speaking of sexy, this Trav return of Ian Holm. Last seen in The Fifth Element. Here is Bilbo Baggins. Sexy. Ooh. Get that Bilbo body pillow. It's a Trav return of Andy Serkis. Not seen since the days of Black Panther. Film was released December 10th, 2001 at the uh, Odeon in uh, the UK. December 19th, 2001 in the United States. December 20th, 2001 in New Zealand. On a budget, I was kind of surprised it would do, well, Tolkien, but I thought maybe New Zealand first because the movie's impossible without New Zealand. But on a budget of $93 million, this film made $897.7 million worldwide unadjusted for inflation. Ancient temptation threatens to raise evil of eons past. And only the smallest of Middle Earth's creatures can take the path of preventing it. The director of Meet the Feebles pulls off one of the most impossible feats in cinematic <laughs> history. Cat, this is your chance. I know. It just, it's so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is Cat's uh, coming of age. <laughs> <laughs> Aragorn and Legolas. I mean, okay. come on. <laughs> Some people have George of the Jungle. You had uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I, I think I, I need to find a Polaroid of it somewhere, but I had like all of Orlando Bloom like on my wall and everywhere. Understandable. <laughs> we would still put yeah. up. That's yeah. what you can't see it, but right over here, it's all Kate Blanchett now. <laughs> or, yeah. My coming of age with Thor Ragnarok when I was in my mid 30s. Um, okay. I saw this movie in theaters in 2001, as did The Planet. And I didn't like it at all. I Ooh. hated this movie. I mean, actively was like, the movie was boring. It sucked. I hated it. It was, it was bad. Now. <laughs> I was like, I think I might need to leave. Upon this revisit, I watched the extended cut, which is damn near four mm. hours long. And I'm thinking to myself, to your point, Robert, the guy who did Meet the Feebles and all the other crazy shit he did. And then, like, right before this, The Frighteners. Yeah. Why the fuck did they give the guy who did The Frighteners basically something that had never been done before? Can you film the most unfilmable book, series of books of all time that are so epic in lore and grandeur and scale that, that the guy who wrote it wrote multiple distinct languages and separate dialects for those languages. It's not even just that there's Elvish, there's dialects of Elvish. This guy spent, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know how Tolkien even came up with this sort of stuff. The depth, the history, the maps, the geography, the, I mean, it just is never ending. And can you somehow condense that into like a two plus hour movie? Take this entire first book and make it one legible film because you did the Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. We think you're the guy to do the job. <laughs> well, even more crazy, they gave him all 300 million like pretty much up front and they shot them back to back to back. Like That's all it, yeah. Simultaneously. So this, as a result of that, each of these movies costs only like 100 million, which is crazy considering the scale <laughs> yeah. of these movies. Um, 
and, and at the time yeah. where we've seen where CGI is at at this time in 2001. Yeah. And to be like, okay, there's you're, you're going to have to do most a lot of this in computer. We're going to fly you to well, yeah, well, he's from the area, but we're gonna, you're you're you get to do it in New Zealand. That's fine. Um, but here we're going to give you all this money up front. You're going to shoot back to back to back, which means, unlike the Harry Potter franchise, which we'll get to, you could have had three of the biggest disasters in Hollywood history, and they would have had <laughs> yeah. no choice but to release them. Right? If the first one comes out, and we're all just like, this is this fucking sucks. Like everybody was like, this is garbage and it flopped. Because here, here's here's the point I want to make about this movie. This movie, it's it's so easy to forget now that this is really the first film to bring this level of hardcore fantasy. Mm -hmm. This is unabashed nerd shit. People got beat up for playing Magic the Gathering 18 months before this movie came out. They weren't making comic book movies that were faithful to comic book lore. You were not going to get a Thor movie or you weren't going to get any of that shit. You were getting a Batman movie and Batman wasn't even basically Batman because mainstream audiences thought Batman was too dorky. And then they just come out and unabashedly make one of the most hardcore fantasy nerd movies ever fucking made unashamedly, unashamedly. And it somehow crosses over that Rubicon for mainstream acceptance where everybody sees the movie. And without this movie, you don't get Game of Thrones. And I don't think you yep. get the sensibilities of what Marvel is. I don't think you're getting Jack Kirby's new gods. I don't think you can do Thanos. I don't think you can do Infinity Stones. I don't think everything of our culture for the last 22 years, for better or for worse, Robert, Cat, comes down to they got normies to buy into fucking elves and trolls and orcs <laughs> and ogres and hobbits and halflings and to know the difference they and and that's their thing this fucking guy and the screenwriters they had to somehow go how do we condense all this to where someone who has never rolled a six-sided die in their fucking life has never even played <laughs> legend of zelda can discern it because this shit is dense <laughs> This movie should be indiscernible to a sane person in 2001. Mm -hmm. And instead it's like, and honestly, I find the movie is easier to watch now because we've had 2020, 22 years of fantasy because of this movie that now yeah. if you watch the extended cut, it's basic. It's so easy. It's so yeah. easy. It's basically just like you're, you're, you're <laughs> like, you're just watching like three game of Thrones episodes in a row from any season. And it's just like, yeah. So that's my rant. Oh, also, let me finish my rant by saying this. Ian McKellen delivers the greatest performance of his career in this yeah. movie. And in the whole series, but in this movie in particular. And it's one of the greatest performances of the last 40 years. I know that sounds ridiculous, but here's what I mean. McKellen, as Gandalf, when he arrives, he has to sell it all if he does not get across to the audience that this little dinky ring <laughs> is the most powerful force in this world and it is tempting and seductive and dangerous and scary if he does if he does not get you to believe him you don't believe the rest of this movie 
If, because he's this goofy, giant, fucking weird wizard with, you know, blowing smoke of battleships and bullshit. But if you don't believe his, when he figures out what that, that what particular ring that is, and then he's like riding around Middle Earth and he's coming back around and is it safe? Is it is it hidden? You know, all that sort of shit. And you see like him in almost a fugue state in front of the fire where he's like, precious, precious, you know, where he's just like, there's a bizarre shit in this movie. But if he doesn't sell that to you, none of this is believable. All the Hobbit shit just then feels stupid and goofy and corny and cheesy. If you don't believe me, check out the sequel series of this, <laughs> this series of films. We have to buy him so that we can buy all of it. And because McKellen as Gandalf believes it, we believe it. And because of him, I think he's the linchpin. And not a, I can't think of a single part of this movie or single player in this movie that could, should be done differently or recast. I think everybody is fantastic. So that's my coming, coming alive to how great Lord of the Rings is. There's a very thin line between fantasy that soars and fantasy that, fantasy that falls flat. And to your point, like I think there's yes. a very, it's a very delicate balance. And when I saw this the first time in theaters, I also was was pretty disappointed. Like I was, I was into Gandalf's character because I, you know, I already know knew Ian McKellen from the X Men films, like yep. we were saying. Yep. Uh, so I was really on board with that character. And then spoilers for a 22 year old movie when he dies like two thirds of the way through, I was kind of like, eh, I lost interest yep. in it. And, I came out feeling very like, I don't know, that was fine. It was long and ponderous and a lot of walking. And then eventually before Two Towers came out, my family and I gave it another chance. And we're like, man, this is amazing. What were we thinking? What's wrong with us? And then we've been on board since then. Uh, but I think the magic of this movie is that five minutes in, you get that prologue. Basically, I'm saying every movie should start with a Kate Blanchett monologue uh, voiceover. <laughs> that yeah. prologue, you're so amped up. So by yeah. the time you even, before you even meet Gandalf and Frodo, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, they need to get that ring. I'm so on board, like Sauron and Isildur and all that stuff. And you're, you're bought into the lore uh, so that when they're talking about this, this one ring is all powerful, you're, you're already on board. And I think it, it sets the table so quickly and so efe efficiently and so confidently that, that you know, you, it's easy to get swept up in it. If Kate Blanchett started a ASMR YouTube channel, I would subscribe. To oh it. Holy <laughs> shit! She'd be a she'd be a bit yeah. I know. Please just do it. Yeah. Jason, I'll have you ever seen the movie <laughs> Bandits, which came out the same year with with Kate Blanchett and Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton? Yes, I have, but I didn't realize that was her. That was her. Go revisit that since you have this Kate Blanchett uh, fetish fixation. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, yeah, which is understandable. I get it, especially I, after seeing that recently. I covered that on one of my. I don't shows want Kate Blanchett to start an OnlyFans, but I don't want it to be her, her physically. <laughs> I want it to be her voice, where she could just say semi naughty things. Just some of the punchlines from Shrek. <laughs> I just want some of the jokes from Shrek. I just like, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I yeah, yes, I a hundred percent agree with you. Uh, of everything you just said, Robert. Um, I think also at the time though, we were in 2001, we were not as accustomed to in film serialized storytelling mm -hmm. because this movie has no end. <laughs> mm -hmm. It literally is just like they part ways and then they're just walking off the distance and the movie just goes, all right, that's it. You're going, wait, what, <laughs> what in 2001? It felt like, yeah, it's ponderous. It's just a lot of slow-mo and a lot of walking and talking and they're talking about oh frame of order you know and all this shit i'm like i don't even know what any of this it sounds like they're speaking in tongues 
you know, at certain points of the film. And it's just like, I don't know what any of this shit is. But now we've been so enculturated with nerd shit. And I say that with all due respect, because this is a show called Binge Movies. It's about as fucking nerdy as it gets. But now we've been also enculturated in fantasy elements. To your point, you're like, oh, well, you know, like it either flies high or falls flat. The entire decade of the 80s is littered with sword and sorcery fucking flops. They, they kept trying to make these, these fantasy movies off of the success of the original Conan the Barbarian. They're like, oh, people want wizards and they want swords. They want uh, adventure. And they all fucking blow. You get Deathstalker 2. You get, you get Beastmaster. You know, and it's like that was what fantasy was. It's like, oh, well, this guy's a barbarian with two ferrets. And he can talk to hawks. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, this fucking blows. And then this movie comes along and he's like, hey, man, uh, I made movies with lawnmowers and goo and brains and piss and shit. Now I'm going to make some fucking... Uh, elf movies in new zealand which is a country that didn't even exist for most americans until this movie existed <laughs> sorry sam not sam wise sam the man from movie reviews at 20 cues uh and it's just sort of like this movie came out and how many americans took their fat asses over to new, zealand? To to new zealand yeah i wanted to live yeah. there how many how many fucking people went over there and was like where's the shire you know how many people went to <laughs> australia by accident looking for the shire <laughs> millions oh man this is what this I, what a yeah. cultural impact this movie has i mean I, I was a little bit i have a different perspective i, I maybe mean, i don't know if you guys are a little older than me but i was 13 when i when this yeah. came out so i was obsessed with it um and before that i had in because i remember being in seventh grade and we were reading the hobbit so i was obsessed with oh. that book and then we had seen the cartoon of the hobbit and then, um, so I think I knew this was coming out. So I was just like, I mean, I think people back then that know me, you know, they probably remember me as like the Lord of the Rings girl, you know, because <laughs> I was just so fucking obsessed. Like, I think one of the guys I liked, like in high school gave me like a Lord of the Rings book, you know, like that was like, <laughs> like, like they, people knew how obsessed I was with this. Yeah. Um, but when this movie came out, I, I think it just, for me, it blew my mind. Like, I think. I was I always gravitated towards like I've talked about this like action movies and like mm -hmm. that fantasy but I think there was not really like a, a like a genre of this before or maybe I hadn't seen any of those other like flops or I don't know what it was just kind of like for me it blew my mind and like and I didn't understand in what ways just because you I saw it and was like wow what was that and then there was more and I always liked because movies were an escape for me like going off into this weird ass land and like not having to deal with whatever you know like regular stuff or school stuff or whatever. And then it was just all these like different little threads and then um and 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 the fantasy part and then of course like um like Aragorn and, and the wizards and I don't know. I just loved all of it. And then um and I did like it was new where they would just like cut it off and they're like, oh we're gonna have this in the next like next few years. So it was like something to look forward to as well. Yeah. Like I think that looking forward to is now it's taken for granted a little bit because we're like, oh, we'll get another one. We'll get another one. And back yeah, then it wasn't right. it wasn't like that. Like it was new. Um, it was something like we waited patiently for two years and we weren't like we didn't have an entitlement towards that either. It was like we were genuinely excited. Or a fatigue. We there we're was no like, oh, Yeah, yeah. There was no fatigue. <laughs> it was just it was genuine yeah. excitement, and we weren't like bashing it or anything like that. Like we didn't. Have, there was no social media, which I, I'm so thankful for back then. 
Um, <laughs> you know, like I feel like it would have just been horrible. Um, <laughs> There's no social and then, media. And then, I was just so thankful. What a dig for Yeah, you. <laughs> because I, it would have ruined, like I almost like this is actually, because it's so sacred to me. It's like the movie that I thought, I mean, that I think is foundational and like w- I wanted to make movies and coming from a small Texas town, I was like, how would I do that? But I was like, I'll do it because of this and saw all the extra special features. Yeah. I wanted to work for Weta, you know, like all this kind of thing. Like it really was the most pivotal moment where I almost don't talk about it on social media because I want to keep it to myself. Mm. <laughs> you know, because then so and then like even in this one, I'm like, oh, I have to talk about like something. And I end up always sounding like I did the mummy one. And it's the same thing because uh the mummy episode with Robert yeah. and it was just like, um, it's so special where you're like, I'm all I almost don't have the words to articulate how, you know, influential <clears throat> it was. Um, but now that I, you know, I, I revisit this movie at least like twice a year and we watch the extended cuts and, and stuff like that, or even more, it's just a comfort movie. I, I do get to sort of like pick those little like, like it's still so detailed. It holds up yeah. very well. There are parts where you can kind of see where some of the tech and like, you know, the co- like things like you can see through um, the illusion yeah. a little bit. It's not perfect, but I do feel like, you also have to think about like where it was in 2001 and the fact that like they were able to do that. And again, most movies try to do that now and they still can't do that with all the technology, with all the resources at the, at the helm. And so it still is, um, I don't know. It's just so amazing that they, that Peter Jackson was able to pull this off and like get three movies um, off the back and like, and then all these like characters are so iconic. Like, I mean, I look back, the only one that does kind of like Sam and um, Frodo uh, in terms of like Elijah Wood and Sean Astin, like their accents, I thought they were like, they were, you know, had those accents. And now I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. but you kind of go with it because they're so perfect. Like, especially Elijah Wood, he would just every time I watch it, when he turns around, when Gandalf dies and like he has those tears in his eyes, I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, it's almost perfect casting then, because like, you, Elijah Wood doesn't look like yeah. an actual human. So if you said... Yeah. Elijah Wood is a halfling of some different species. You'd be like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And then like you were talking about with um, Ian McKellen, I, it kind of makes you wonder, like this was a blueprint for all these fantasy sci-fi things where, I mean, we see it in 20 years later on all these movies that they always get like the trained, like Oscar winner or theater actor or someone that needs to ground it because we believe them. Yeah. And we wouldn't just believe anybody. So I think they also made that blueprint. Like, I mean, Christopher Lee, Hugo Weaving was in the, you know, like anchored around like, you know, maybe the the newbies, yep. you know, like Orlando Bloom and some of these other ones. But I do feel like that was just like, um, it was just great all around. And like, I mean, when Gandalf dies, if we don't care about Gandalf, we wouldn't have, exactly. like, we wouldn't yeah. want to move forward. Um, so I don't know. I think it just set the blueprint for all the films that I love now and also TV, like Game of Thrones um you know even like up into this point last of us you know or things like that where it's like complicated or even the show lost that's one of my favorites what about you know? ring, like, the it's just, rings of power or whatever it's called are you following that yeah that one i have thoughts on. <laughs> 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 um, but uh but i i do i do feel that like it was it just lent way to also make sure like also i mean i was 13 and i i I mean, I maybe I didn't fully understand 
all of the storylines and it took me a mm-hmm. while. Like, I don't know. I, I think I, I mean, back then I think I did. Um, but it made me feel as an audience member, even as a teenager, like they weren't treating me, um, you know, like kind of a like kid or like you, you could watch these things that were a little bit more complicated, yes. a little bit more than just the regular action movie that, which were cool, that that's cool. And like the dramas, but this was something I could really like sink my teeth into and like really analyze with my friends and things like that, or get really into it. And I feel like, that you could take off screen as well. And I, I love that. Like, I think it would just kind of um, made you linger in it a little bit longer. And with movies, if you really love movies, you want to like stay in that space as long as you can. Yeah. And I think Lord of the Rings did that for me is like, I could stay in this as long as I could. I could go to the books. I could go, you know, watch all these things. I don't know. It was just, I could go on and on about it. Um, but it's, it, it's just still holds up. And um yeah, and it just—I think it, it. People forget because now the people who are like on the socials were were born in two thousand one, yeah. so they don't really understand what came before. And not to like discredit that, but like you really have to like watch this movie, especially if you were born in two thousand one um, or after, and really kind of put yourself in that. Like, where were we? You know, like we do here. You really have to kind of appreciate it because if you just watch it and be like, oh, I've seen better. Like you're not really um, like it laid the foundation for so many things that they love now. Like, you know, we love now that like you can't just dismiss it because I've heard people talk about it in that sense. And I'm like, but you don't know what it was. You know? <laughs> like, like, yeah. But you see, I think that they didn't have to sit through crawl. You know, they didn't have to sit yeah. through a movie where the guy had like a, the, I got to get the glaive and I got to throw the like, I, I, I guess up to this point, like what would have been considered fantasy that uh, that was remotely well liked was probably willow and that wasn't even that big of a success like that even that was seen as like a eh, you know it was supposed to be like the next star wars uh and it certainly wasn't the time and it's like so it's like this did it this broke it all open arguably this and the next film that we're going to talk about because they came out currently (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm going to ramble again and for the next one (laughs) yeah um I, I i just think as somebody who who has never read one of these books, likely will never read one of these books. Um, and so again, I can't tell you if I was a hardcore Tolkien fan who read the Lord of the Rings every year and ran through it all and had a room in my basement that had middle earth laid out, you know, all this sort of stuff that whether or not this is an accurate enough depiction, because I'm sure they excised major portions of the book and condensed shit yeah. and all that. And this might be argued that the book, this one is better than the book, you know? Well, yeah. Right. I don't know. So, so like hardcore fan like you, maybe you'd be like, Hey, this is actually, this one's actually better than the book or other people are like, well, it's not true to the source material. I don't know the source material. What I'm saying is as somebody who hated this movie in 2001 was bored by it, but it was unsatisfying, felt unfinished, but it was stupid and goofy. Other than Gandalf, I was always on board with Gandalf, uh, probably because of the Magneto connection. Um, but, and I just, his performance is just really good. Now, when I go back and, and revisit it, I was just sort of like, honestly, when the extended edition ended, I was like, I could have watched this for another hour. Yeah. I was. Why, why do you think, like, I'm really curious why you guys didn't like it the first time around. Like, was it one of those things where you did to kind of take it for granted or you just didn't, didn't, I don't know, like how many year, when, how long after did you watch it again? And then we're like, oh, I was just being whatever. Or like, 
you know, I think it might have been just because it was so jarring. There was nothing like this at the time, yep. and you know, I was. So you kind of wanted to go against it just because. Maybe, I mean, I don't know if it was that like, necessarily, but it's like there, there wasn't this sort of high fantasy film, and so I think I wasn't really accustomed to this level of storytelling where you're just yep. thrown right into mm-hmm. it, like Jason was saying. Mm-hmm. You know, hobbits and multiple races of elves, and now we're going to go to Rivendell, yeah. and then we're going to go. <laughs> this is Isengard, and like all this, it's like it was a. It was a bit of a high learning curve for me. And, you know, I was I was 18 when all these movies came out. So even then I, I hadn't, you know, I didn't have a background with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I didn't even really know much about it except, oh, it was coming out. It's fantasy, I guess. Something about a ring. Like I had no reference point. I'd seen the <laughs> I'd seen the teaser trailer, I think, with the secret and safe kind of thing with Gandalf and stuff. But I didn't have any mm-hmm. any anything to grasp onto. I was just kind of uh you know, had to learn on the on the on the job with this movie. Spot, yeah. Which is why by the time the second one came in, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, let's see what happens with Sam and Frodo the now. Two ta- yeah. Yeah. yeah, two yeah. towers, I was I was all on board uh by that point. I yeah. see here's here's the thing. My experience of it was I saw this one in theaters, didn't like it. And it was just it was the density of it. It was the fact that the movie did, really does not, other than that opening narration, doesn't really there's all of this bat. They don't dumb it down. Yeah, it doesn't. For you. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. There's no real like easy on ramp. You're just sort of like, wait, what? And so the first time you watch it again, because there's nothing really like this. We're not fam- mm-hmm. the mainstream audience was not as familiar with fantasy tropes, and a lot of fantasy tropes yeah. came after the Lord of the Rings. Right, a lot of people took Tolkien's work and made their own iterations on it, and so we we got translations of. I'm just telling, like, go back and watch Crawl or Willow or Beastmaster or Deathstalker or even Conan the Barbarian or any of those movies. Like, that was fantasy. And it was sort of like, I don't know. It just, it wasn't this rich. It wasn't this detailed. And it felt when you were watching it, for me, I felt almost on the outside of the movie. I felt almost yeah. alienated mm-hmm. by it because I'm like, I don't know who these people are. And you're acting What's like, going on? I do. It felt like just jumping into the second movie almost in a way. It's like, I don't know this world. I don't know these people. I don't know what fucking language you're talking. It was very alienating at that time because movies didn't function like this. Um, now all franchise movies function where it's like, oh, well, you know, see, the Rainbow Bridge was destroyed because Heimdall <laughs> was killed yeah. on the ship and by Thanos with the Infinity Stones. And you're like, oh, stop talking right, about right, it. Right. <laughs> so we, like, we have all that crap in our head now just as part of mainstream culture. So Thor can't get yeah. back to Asgard. So when the nine realms are in danger and the frost giants show up, like, like I, I, I honestly think if like Thor, any of the Thor movies had tried to be made in 2001, it would have flopped. Oh yeah. Even Ragnarok mm, yeah, because you're yeah. just like, what the yeah. fuck is this? What's Ragnarok? What's the, all this sort of shit. Like we just, it just never would have worked because our, we weren't conditioned for this type of storytelling as mainstream audiences at the time. When Two Towers came yeah. out, I didn't even see it in theaters because I was like, I don't think I like Lord of the Rings. I saw it on video, and I really liked Two Towers a lot yeah. more than Fellowship. So that'll be interesting when I revisit that one. Mm-hmm. And then I that brought yeah. me back, and I was back in the theaters for Return of the King. And I really liked Return of the King. I thought I had some really cool stuff in it and, like, of course, 15 fucking endings. But yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Uh, that, I had yeah. a little fatigue there. So that's going to be interesting because I'm definitely going to revisit those as we continue on in the decade. But I, honestly, to cat to your question of, like, when did it start working for me? Probably this viewing because I've never really gone back. I've seen, again, mm-hmm. bits and pieces mm-hmm. of it because it's been on TNT every weekend for the last 55 years. So... You know, but I to sit down and watch it. This is my first time watching the extended cut. 
all the way through. Um, my to 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 contrast me my dad who was a big Tolkien fan and read all the books and had all the books and all this sort of stuff loved all these movies and I ended up buying him the extended trilogy from Best Buy (laughs) when you remember that was a thing well back in probably whatever 0304 whenever they finally were all out in a box set you know I don't know if you remember how fucking expensive that extended Mm -hmm. I got that DVD (laughs) box that was it was like 150 dollars I was like, yeah, I think I got yeah, I was like, yeah, that's your Christmas <laughs> gift. And he would just throw this shit on this and band of brothers. He would just like, here's oh, 20 oh, hours cool. of content. And he would just roll through it. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I think I'm just now yeah. maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you can thank uh, Kevin Feige for getting my brain on board for this kind of shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now I think about it. Yeah. If you think about it, it was so bold. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's like, and I, I still have people like, you know, um, that haven't watched it that are my age too. And there's like, Oh no, I'm not like, like you, you kind of know what yes. kind of people, like what kind right. of, uh, pe- what viewers people are when you meet them and like, they'll be like, Oh no, Lord of the Rings, whatever. I can't sit through that. It's so confusing yeah. or whatever. You're like, Oh, well, you're not going to like this, this, and this, and this. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and then, so it kind of was also like a, like for me, I think it, I judge, not, I didn't judge people, but like I could see like in call going forward in college and stuff, if people didn't like Lord of the Rings, I kind of knew that they were more like on the surface, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing in terms of They're their just superficial people. But in terms of if their you like, like Lord of the Rings, yeah, in terms of their like viewing, person. yeah, like I, I wasn't, yeah in terms of their like viewings uh like movie stuff i was like i was i wasn't gonna watch certain things with them because i knew they wouldn't like yeah. like it um but it's not for everyone like I th- like i don't know for whatever reason it just hit me um and but i could go the opposite way like you know i'm sure it's not it's not for everyone but it's crazy that it was for like a lot of people oh yeah yeah <laughs> like, it's just it's kind of it amazing is. and i i think like yeah and if we didn't have it we wouldn't have a lot of the things we have now which it's just um it's kind of mind-blowing yeah for better or for worse right so uh mm-hmm. do we learn the good yeah. lessons off of this movie or do we learn the some bad lessons you know i don't know <laughs> yeah i think t i think tv learned more of the good I, lessons than the I, movies I, did i think that's actually true as well yeah i i think too like okay at this point in 2001 if you'd asked me what is your favorite movie i probably would have like robert i'm guessing would have said the matrix and, and yeah, the thing about yeah, I mean, the Matrix also laid the foundation. For that's this actually kind true of thing too. Yeah, Matrix was also a step in it. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to do some real nerd shit. Mm-hmm. But the thing that the Matrix had that this movie didn't really have was, yeah, it's nerd shit. We're going to put this really slick layer of super dope for the time special effects and action. It's going to be like almost feel like wall to wall action. Right. So you're we're going to trick you into we're going to put sugarcoat this so you don't realize how fucking nerdy this is. Uh, and then in the sequels, they were just like, yeah, now that Lord of the Rings is out, we can make this as nerdy and weird as we want. And Robert loves that shit. And I think they're abominations. Um, but um, the, the Matrix also had an ending. Too, that's my point. Thing, that was my which point. I think is the, is the thing, Matrix you know, is a simple one. three act structure. Right. Because they didn't know they were going to do the other. Right, ones. Yeah. 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 Clay had a classic three act structure. So by the time he flies mm-hmm. off towards the camera, you're like, well, he's going to save the world. That's it. That's great. It's wonderful. Fuck. Yeah. And you leave. And this movie is just sort of like, I would have followed you to the ends of the earth. You know, I would have gone all the way. And he goes, I know. And it's all like dreamy and Enya music playing. And it's like everyone's speaking and almost like in slow motion. And then they just sort of go walking down the river or whatever. And they're sort of like, that's it. That's it. It takes two hours before the fellowship is even put together. And then it's over. You know, they don't last very long. Yeah. It's like 45 minutes of the fellowship. Before. Yeah. 
It's all pretty much done, yeah. I always have a soft spot for the the first ones in the franchises because I mean, if if it's good, you know, like you always like. I would argue, I think I like Twin Two Towers um, a little bit more, but I hate the first, the beginning part of Two Towers, so I feel like that's what always knocks it for me. Um, so then the first one, I always feel like it's like the nostalgic, like this is what started yeah, it. So you right. kind of always yeah. need, obviously, the first one to go on, but. Um, yeah, but it always makes me a little sad too because I'm like, oh, the fellowship's getting together. Sort of like when we go into our next yeah. film, it's sort of that like you feel like it's it's like a fun little ride, but then it gets really dark. Really quick. <laughs> well, you know, and also I didn't have the context of, you know, hey, this is there's allegorical elements here to this story when Tolkien wrote it, and so you know, there's common. But you shouldn't have to. You know, most people wouldn't have. Had yeah, that. but you there's. Hey, there's commentary on say like the industrial revolution, right? So like these orcs are being created, but they're it's the consequence of like deforestation, right? It's like when you when you look at so, like uh, Sauron's realm, Mordor, and everything around it, where they're like creating all these fucking monsters. It's like how, it, it looks. It looks like the industrial England, right? It's like fucking smokestacks and the skies blotted out, and it's like well, that because that shit was happening. There was literally uh, there, all of London was under a, a fucking smog because there was just factories everywhere. And like, then you have, of course, like the war, second world war and like the lust of power for power and how even good people, good nations with good intentions. If you give them power, they use it, that power always like corrupts them and leads to destruction. And it's like, okay, that all seems very basic. But again, I think I needed to maybe grow up a little bit to really appreciate those <laughs> and just how well, like I'll give just a, just a real simple example. It's in that opening and it's, it's like, okay, it, the ring falls off of his hand cause he cuts his fingers off. And then when, uh, uh, Isildur, Isildur. uh, puts it in his hand, the ring shrinks to his size, you know, and it's like power that, that corruptive power will always meet you where you're at. And it'll always seem like, Ooh, this is the perfect fit. If I just had more power, I could make the world a more just place. Everybody believes that. Everybody. Everybody. Look at Twitter. Everybody believes that. We all believe <laughs> that if I was in charge, I would fix this. The world would be safe. I would destroy the evil. And everybody who takes that power on ends up becoming evil. You know, and I get, again, it's like, oh, well, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, you could be reductionistic to that. But it's like when you see each of these characters, including gladriel or whatever the fuck her name is and um even gandalf who's like yeah. deeply tempted like deeply like darkness emerges in each of these characters everybody i guess except for aragorn you know he's our true blue hero who's just <laughs> is like no nope, i'm gonna close that hand i don't even want it and but even that's i just want to go live with my elven <laughs> right elven yeah friend. i don't blame him but even that's like part of it right even part that part of it is like what makes him a virtuous character, even though he seems like a scoundrel, is because he doesn't want power. He deeply understands that power does not solve problems. And that so he just doesn't want it. And so he's the only one that's able to, and as the series continues, of course, we see even Frodo, Sam, everybody's tempted by this thing, that he's the only one that like closes the hand and goes, Nah, I don't want it, right? Because no, he recognizes yeah, yeah. power for what it is, which is a horrible burden. 
Well, it's what he's been running away from his entire life. Yeah. So yeah. it fits the character's arc. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, like those things like stick out more. And then you realize like, does it really matter? Like I, I can't pronounce that character's name. Not really. What matters is what the, the, what the story that's being told here, the, the, in some ways, the morality tale that's being told here Yeah, mm-hmm. and just how the stakes it's, it's yeah. simple and how, you univ- but it's just covered in all this fantasy part, but it's stuff Simple that we can understand. Cause yeah, like I still get things confused, like Sauron, Sauron. <laughs> like, you know, like when I'm watching, yeah. like, wait, what was yeah. like, you know, like, like even watching it like 50 times or whatever. And then, um, it's trying to explain it to people or it's like game of Thrones. Remember like when you yeah. try to explain it to people, but like I watched that first, yeah. I watched that first season where I think I was kind of like, I didn't really understand all the characters, all the little, like the kingdoms, but then it becomes simpler. Cause you're like, wait, someone just wants this and this and that, whatever. Yeah, and then just, yeah. as you go yeah. on, you keep rewatching it. Like those little details, while they do matter, they don't really matter. Cause it's, it's more about the other stuff. And that's what like Lord of the Rings sticks. Like, it's like that feeling of, you know, adventure. And then like, what, what, what would I do exactly. if I had the ring, yeah. you know, like that kind of thing. And it doesn't matter what, um, land they're in now you know it's just, you know that things you know that hey you shouldn't be killing the trees you know <laughs> like, things like that like yeah. uh, or if you if you do think you should be killing the trees well you know maybe you're seeing it from a different exactly. perspective but like um so there's like a little bit of like i think although it seems like it may might not be relatable which i don't think things have to be relatable there are things you could cling on to from like certain tropes yes. that i think maybe there hadn't been some there hadn't been something like this before but we had glimpses of it in like like um it just was all put yes. together like the action the romance the sci-fi the epic adventure and it was just like melded into something where we like whoa i didn't know they could be all in one well this movie does what all great mythology does and i'm assuming that comes from the source material but it is a perennial it is, it is speaking of universal themes and perennial lessons that we as human beings have to continuously be told because we are continuously forgetting history we're for continuously forgetting the past so we are continuously doomed to repeat it which is that that again going back to that theme of so much of what makes up our world on a political level national level economic level personal level is the desperate attempts to grab for power if i had the reins of control and we can spin it and some people are just flat out evil you know, uh, Sauron is just flat out evil, but there's all kind of gradations in between. There's a lot of people who aren't actually evil, but if they were to get that power would be completely corrupted. Gandalf, you know, he's got the line when they're, before they go into the, uh, <laughs> again, here we go. The dwarf mine, right? Moria. The great dwarf <laughs> yeah. city, right? Uh, what's yeah. it called? Moriah? The mines of Moria. Mines of Moria. Mines of Moria, right? Before they go into the mines of Moria. Um, he's like, you know, I've basically like, I've lived a very long life and I've been, you know, I've, I've faced many things, but even I have not been tempted in every way. And so what he's basically saying is like, keep that ring the fuck away from me because I'm not sure, (laughs) right. That even I can be trusted. Like I, this guy's a thousand years old or how old he is. Right. And he's been through, he's faced all of these moral challenges. He is a good guy. He is a good character. But but he is con- there. We see that conflict in him, and that temptation, and that lust uh, begin to emerge. And it's like, oh my gosh, what could I do with this power? And then you would just have someone like Saruman, who's like, you know, 
Saruman the wise, Saruman like the the king of all the sorcerers, basically, you know, right? Like the oldest, the wisest, the whatever, the Yoda of all this shit. And he and he has been corrupted by looking into this ball, and he sees the eye of Sauron, and then he's just sort of like, I'm just gonna be complicit. I don't even. I'm not even going to get the <laughs> yeah, power, like but I. Otherwise, I'm going to be. I, I'm out of pure self-preservation. I'm just going to align myself with the evil. Right. Better to be on the wrong side than the losing side. That's it. You did not seriously think that a hobbit could contend with the will of Sauron. There are none who can. Against the power of mortal, there can be no victory. Join with him, Gandalf. We must join with Sauron. It would be wise, my friend. Tell me, friend, when did Saruman the Wise abandon reason for madness? And that's a lot of, I mean, that's in his, or if you're trying to do the allegory thing, like a lot of people had to do that yes. either to save themselves yeah. or save their families or just because like, they don't want to deal with like, I don't want to deal with that bullshit, which bullshit is like war yeah, and things, right. but like, you know, um, it's like, you also can't blame him in a way. Cause you're like, well, I mean, it was all going to go to hell. Like, what is he going to do? But I mean, then he ends up doing really horrible stuff. Because but there's of that. also like, but okay, the, the choice of being complicit. Yeah, Gandalf yeah. is like, I know it sounds like we're going real deep into this, but it's like, the, if yeah. you're like, oh, this is nerd shit, but just listener, think about the themes that we're saying here. Not necessarily like the terminology, but he's like, you know, we don't have all of these <laughs> seen balls, right? Like, it's like the, the fortune telling balls, basically. He's like, yeah. we don't, we, the crystal balls, like, we don't know where all the seeing stones are. So because of that, it's corrupt, it's dangerous. And whatever you look at, can see you and all this sort of stuff. And he's, and he's just, and he, and Saruman has been so powerful and so wise for so long that he thinks he's infallible. He thinks he's incorruptible. And so he is, he's been messing around with this thing that he doesn't quite understand because he doesn't think that he thinks he's powerful enough to overcome it. And somehow be in that process that just that's like his vision of the world ends up being corrupted. He's like, the whole world's going to burn. Everything's going to end. That was not a foregone conclusion. That's what was in the balance with right. the, through the story, but his vision gets corrupted. And because he's like, well, if the world's going to end and sorrows, you know, uh, Sauron's going to win anyways, might as well join that side, right? Better be on the winning side, like you said, the losing side. And <laughs> I get to retain my power and all this sort of shit, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to lose, risk losing everything I've gained. So I want to hold on to what I have. And I was like, we know that people did that with the Nazis. We know that nations were like, well, we're going to join yeah. the, the, you know, we're going to join with, with, with Germany because we're next door and we don't want to be in, you know, better to be occupied than destroyed. Right. And we'll just go along with it. Hey, yeah, we'll give you weapons. We'll give you so we'll go along with it. And so like, it's like, yeah, we, we make, he makes a deal with the devil basically because he's yeah. out of his own arrogance. And it's like, here's the other thing. I, th this is going to be real controversial. I think this movie ruined Star Wars. <laughs> and here's why. Because the original Star Wars trilogy, that space opera serial adventure movie with, with sci fantasy elements, the force and this and that, 
it was that was about as deep as mainstream audiences ever went into fantasy. The fact that nobody wants to talk about Star Wars is there's nothing beyond that. Mm. Though every time you try to go deeper into the lore, you fuck it up. You fuck it up. Oh, well, it's because of midichlorians or it's because of this or all the extended universe shit. Well, actually, there was this and this and this and this. And you're just like, okay, every time we try to enrich it into a deeper form of fantasy, you actually end up throwing the formula off because then it's not a space opera anymore. Now it's a space opera that's trying to pretend to be a fantasy and it just it just doesn't mesh. All of that four stuff and this, that, whatever, it was all window dressing for a space opera Buck Rogers adventure serial. It was like it was like adding a little bit of like fantasy to give it a little bit more of a depth and whatever. But but it's it every time you try to make it more Lord of the Rings, it throws the balance off and you're just sort of like, what? This doesn't feel like Star Wars. That's what everybody always says. Yeah, it's kind of that's cool, but this doesn't feel like Star Wars. Because Star Wars is a movie about monsters and swashbuckling, and all the force stuff is in the background. With Lord of the Rings, their version of the force and all the different, the rings of this, that's all foreground. That is the point. That is what it's about. That is the world. It's not just like, oh, well, some people, like, it, and I think from this point forward, they've been trying to make Star Wars Lord of the Rings. And every time you do that, you fuck up what made Star Wars enjoyable in the first place, which was it was just a really fan, fun time at the theater with some nerdy magic thrown in. It wasn't a magic movie. It wasn't a, oh, force dyads and uh, face force timing and, you know, this crystal from this, un this Darth Vader has a castle on a lava planet. And it's like... No, this isn't Lord of the Rings. This is Star Wars. So I, I think that this now switched audiences' appetites from we want this stuff. We want the depth, the lore. And Star Wars has desperately been trying to catch up ever since. And um, to, in my opinion, uh, not great effect. It's killed what made Star Wars unique. Star Wars is Star Wars. Lord of the Rings is Lord of the Rings. It's Star Trek is Star Trek. Don't try to mix this shit. That's my opinion. Robert, tell me I'm wrong. Um, I mean, as someone who was really into the Star Wars movies and has kind of lost interest in the franchise with all these Disney Plus shows, I don't know. If, I don't know if I'm necessarily qualified to uh, <laughs> to chime in on that. I will say that it's the Star Wars universe has gotten smaller and smaller. Where yeah, now the, the things that interest me the most were the Skywalker things, and now everything beyond that, I'm like, eh, I don't. It's fine. I don't care. Well, they're all related anyways. They all knew each other. (laughs) That was the Star Wars story. Was this Darth Vader, his son, his his kids, etc. And other uh, beyond that, it's it starts to interest me less and less the further you get away from that core story. So I think I I mean I think that sounds like I'm basically agreeing with you and just saying it a different way. Yeah. Um, That there is like there isn't really a as large of a palette for the Star Wars universe as there is for the Lord of the Rings here. But look, Kat, look at the difference in the source material that Tolkien himself, the, the, the guy had to write encyclopedias as supplemental material (laughs) to his books, which were also the size of encyclopedias. So there's just more, there was the source material is deeper. That's my point. The source material of Star Wars is world war two dogfighter movies, uh, Kira Kurosawa, samurai films and fucking Buck Rogers. It's not Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, and it's okay. Like yes. it's okay that that that's what that yep. is. 
but yeah and i guess you're right because i also have been turned off by like the new um shows but i think it's because to me it does also feel like like fluff and i have the opposite feeling i i wish they would go more into other um like the the newer star wars movies i wish they would have just gone away from the scar skywalker thing because i think maybe to your point there isn't enough there and they're like really like stretchy like it's like the the line from lord of the rings like i feel like a what is it like the butter too spread over bread. too, too much, much bread, bread yeah. whatever yep. yeah and it, it, that's how it feels like it feels very thin in their thing i'm like let's just like because my husband's talked to me about like all the other star wars stuff and like how there's really like cool clone war and blah blah and i'm like oh that would be a cool movie like why don't they yes. explore that and like get away from the yeah. the star because because then my thing it really ruins it for me when like there's all these prequels and stuff and um like you already know the ending sort of not yeah. that like i don't like things that i know the ending toward too but it can be like when we've had like six of those it's like well i already know the death star and darth vader and blah blah, blah and like like what's you've the already point? gotten like, the you know, payoff like it really isn't yeah why are you giving me yeah, the build-up so i'm just like fact. yes yeah and so i would like wish we would just get away from that and they would be and and they should they have this foundation of all the skywalker lore that like if they were to move on or go to like a different thing that would be cool to like you know you can go back to that and like have your own like this is what happened then and now there's this new thing and blah blah well um just so, say, i don't mind the idea of like you were saying of exploring th other things in the the galaxy of star wars i guess my point is yeah. every time they've tried to go back and go you know like this movie, there's more to it it's there's, there's not, not more, more to it. it and then they, yes. they and they're making yes. stuff up in between yeah. it and then it doesn't well, make sense because it goes against yeah, actually the actual the force thing. works like this now and it's like no yeah no. No. whereas yeah. like this ring this object in this movie has fifty thousand pages of text written about it and it's passed yeah. through the lineage and it was forged at this time and so there's all it like explaining the ring and where it comes from like like you guys were saying just the fucking opening the the prologue of this movie is like a little movie itself that's entertaining because yeah. the backstory yeah. is the point the backstory in star wars of where does the force come from and what is it and who's yoda and how old is he and what was his dad's name that was never the point the point was always in those original movies the relationships between the characters mm -hmm. that's in the lord of the rings not but the, the mythology. mythology is also the yeah. point here in Lord of the Rings. And I think what I've yeah. gained in the 22 years since is I've transitioned from being a guy that liked the Star Wars style of, well, the back, yeah, like just give me enough background so I give a shit about these characters and let's blow shit up to now, uh, no, I'm now more, I want, like, I want to know, like, where, who forged that ring? What happened to the nine <laughs> kings of men? You know, like, I want to know about that. I don't, you know, I, I don't need and a TV see, show yeah, out of it, but you, I love that the movie explores yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you see that with the movies that try to emulate yeah. Lord of the Rings or even TV shows, that if they don't have that, like, foundation, it just feels like fluff yeah. and it just feels like, oh, well, you like Lord of the Rings, you're going to like this. And it's like, wait, no, I need a little bit more. Like, it, you don't have to go super in depth and like be like, this is based on the Nazis of World War II. Like, I don't need all that. But if you don't, if you're just kind of going off the success of Lord of the Rings or things like that, you see that in some movies and TV shows. Like, they just think like, oh, we have enough yeah. of like this thread and it, it, they don't go deep into like the mythology it yep. falls apart and that's why they're not successful. So, I mean, there is a, well, point even let's, let's think about the, uh, the last few seasons of game of Thrones when they ran out of source material, the books, which are also like, you know, George R. R. Martin was like, you know, trying to be the modern Tolkien in a way when they ran out of 
books that were this thick and they're gonna have to like okay well how do we continue this story then all of a sudden it's like wait that character that doesn't make sense that character well we got there and it kind of makes sense we got there but not that way like all of a sudden it just started it's like became ramshackle starts falling apart and then you're just sort of like oh what's happening and you're like wait what we we spent all this time building up this character for this thing and now they're not even gonna be involved in that like again yeah and time and space don't work the same <laughs> right, way. Yeah, we're just <laughs> teleporting across the kingdom and like, yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, I guess, I guess what we're coming to is this movie's an awesome translation of incredibly deep mythology. And somehow Peter Jackson and his screenwriters and the cast and crew of this movie were able to utilize every tool at their disposal in 2000 or 1990, whatever, when they started making these movies for the 2001 release to translate what what could have been untranslatable to the world and 22 years later even non-believers like me have now been converted because i think this movie is great so robert we know it's not your number one where would you put it this is number two uh with a 9.2 and I, you know, obviously, like everything we've said, I, I agree with one of the best movie trilogies of all time, uh, such a, a triumph on every level. And yet I would argue either of the next two would be a better inclusion for the vault, in my opinion. Which is so wild, think, right? Yes. Yeah, it is wild. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. that's good. Though. It is that's good. good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so my, my thing is I'm backing who I'm trusting whoever future guests are on those episodes for two towers and or return of the King to stump for those, because <laughs> it, feel, it would feel weird to, to me for this to be the only Lord of the Rings movie in the vault and the chances of getting more than one in the vault are very slim. So I, you know, unless you bring us back yeah, for exactly. two towers. <laughs> Good point, Kat. Cause I, I, it, I, like we were saying, Jason, like I will go off with that. Yeah. Like, like we were saying, Jason, like I, I don't that's this doesn't have an ending as a standalone work yeah it's it doesn't quite measure up to something like like what the, I feel like two towers works better as a standalone experience that's and a obviously good point. return of the king brings yep. the whole thing you know full circle you get the 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 prologue with Gollum's kind of origin story and return yep. of the king and then it all ends like on multiple times but it ends eventually uh so plus that you have an of army thing. of fucking ghosts Yes, you do. Argon, oh, yeah. like fucking <laughs> TJ Hooker's over that ship, and they fucking the ghost armies behind them. And I was like, I sat in a theater, and, and we're not there yet. But I was just like, what the fuck is this movie? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it turns into a yeah. horror, like another yeah. genre. Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. Is, but I love that it. That still scares yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. You don't really have enough Gollum in this movie, too, for my taste. I love that character. I think Andy Serkis is amazing as him. Uh, you get a walking tree in the second one. Basically, all I'm saying is it's good, but before we get ready to put one of these movies in the vault, I would wait a little bit. Till the well, next, that walking next tree, couple. it was one of my favorite characters of all of the Lord of the Rings 20 years ago. So we'll see when yeah. we get to him again, uh, whether I like him or the whale in uh, uh, Way of Water better. We'll see. Um, the one thing, my one knock against this movie before we get to you, Kat, is I fucking hate Pippin. Yeah. I hate Pippin. I hate him. I hate him. Every time Grandolf uh, verbally abuses him, is like, you fucking fool of a toot. You goddamn <laughs> stupid son of a bitch. I'm just like, yeah, fuck Pippin. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I hate him. I hate, I, I, I actually hate Marianne Pippin. I hate, the, I hate how fucking stupid their faces are. They're just always smiling and slack jaw. I just, I, and every time, like, they're supposed to be kind of comic relief and whatever. I don't ever find them funny. 
They could have excised. I know it would be blasphemy, but just take him the fuck out of the movie. I hate them. The movie leans on them a little too hard for every time things are going well, one of them does something stupid, like you were yeah. saying, Jason. Like, I feel like from a screenwriting perspective, like that starts to get kind of repetitive. Like, Frodo's going to almost die. We're going to have to save him. And then Pippin's going to do something dumb and, and escalate the situation. I feel like that happens like two or three times in this movie. But in a four-hour movie, if my only complaint is there's two minor well, characters yes, exactly. that I fucking hate, that's... that's Well, and their arcs <laughs> build in, 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 in satisfying ways in the sequels. So yeah, the, what would have been more satisfying is had they both died. But uh, cat, <laughs> come um, on. Yes, this is my yeah, number is. one. What's your score? <laughs> I feel like it would just be blasphemy to not have it. Like, what if it was your number like three? The, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my yeah, number that's three. Fine. I like Shrek, and I feel like I would have to question my whole trajectory of yeah. my life, my film, you know, my film life, my film criticism. I'd love I to have both of you back, one. but Cat will probably um, be on the set of the next Peter Jackson movie by the time we do that again. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> um, but I would just be there, like, oh my god. Um, uh, yeah, so this is I had it nine point eight because I mean it's not moly. perfect, but it's nearly perfect. W- what's yeah. not perfect about it? Uh, Marion Pippin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, and like there is some moments where it's just like I mean the Frodo and Sam accents. I mean yeah. they're not the best. There's so. only one, but I but they're also so lovable though. And then all and then there is like some CG that's a little like you that's know, what I was going to say that. That's yeah, just there's dated. one moment, like some of it's dated and it's, it's almost like kind of cool now because you're like, oh, mm-hmm. look at that. That's kind of neat. It's yeah. Like, kind of yeah. feels old timey now. But there's one scene. Mm-hmm. I think it's Isildur when he like stands up and he like puts the ring on or whatever and uh, there are battles happening behind him. It's like he's clearly just in front of a screen and the proportion, the yeah. ratio, aspect ratio is all off. And you're like, wait a minute. How are they so close to him but so small? It's just like a quick cut. I was like, oh, that was the most jarring thing. Um, who has the better troll, this or Harry Potter? The cave troll in this or the uh, troll at Hogwarts? CGI-wise. I would say this. I would say this <laughs> yeah. On both counts. CGI-wise, yeah. design-wise, yeah. I, that troll in Harry Potter is annoying as hell. Uh, we'll get to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to get to it right now. It's time to move on. Our final film of the year, the top grossing movie of 2001. Depending on what country you're from, you either know it as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in the good old US of A currently has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. Lesson number one, never be late to class. Lesson number two, keep all chocolate frogs indoors. Watch it. Lesson number three. And most importantly of all, avoid mountain trolls, goblins with attitude, and a three-headed dog named Fluffy. Any questions? Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. PG. This film was directed by Christopher Columbus. The screenplay by Steve Cloves. It's based on Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Uh, less said about that, the better. It was released the 4th November 2001 <laughs> at the Odeon, uh, which makes sense. Uh, the 10th November 2001 in the United Kingdom wide and the uh, 16th of November 2001 in the good old U.S. of A., on a budget of $125 million, this film made $1.017 billion with a B. Little Orphan Egghead is sent off to Magic Muppet boarding school where he makes new <laughs> friends and finds old enemies. The director of Home Alone takes She Who Must Not Be Named's book series to the big screen in epic fashion. <laughs> I love that. 
Oh, the movie that made me want to be a, a, a wizard so bad. <laughs> okay, let me start here because I've already talked about this movie and then I'm going to turn it over to you two uh, all-timers. Steven Spielberg was originally scheduled to direct this movie. He wanted to direct it. He kind of was one pushing for the project. And this was his quote. And I like, I have a complicated relationship with Spielberg at this point. It all changed for me when Shia LaBeouf came out. Uh, if you guys remember this, when um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was coming out. And Shia LaBeouf was on the press circuit saying, this movie's no good. <laughs> <laughs> and he said in one of the press junkets, he was like, I love the Indiana Jones movies, but this one's no good. And I'm actually like, I, I, I don't think I'm oh. good in it. It's like, it was kind of embarrassing. This is before the movie came out. And he said, you know, I really it was like, what, what was it like to work with Spielberg? You know, and he's like, I always wanted to work with him. He's really a hero of mine. But when I told him the movie was no good, he said, I know, but sometimes you just have to sell the car. That was Spielberg's answer to him. And he, wow. cause he didn't, LaBeouf didn't problem, problematic, whatever with him aside, didn't even want to do the press junket for the movie. Cause he didn't believe in the project. He thought the finished project stunk mm. and Spielberg said, I know this movie's no good. You still got to sell it. This was his quote about Harry Potter. <clears throat> it's shooting ducks in a barrel. It's just a slam dunk. It's just like withdrawing a billion dollars and putting it into your personal bank account. There's no challenge. He ended up not directing it because he didn't want to acquiesce a certain level of creative control to J.K. Rowling, who at the time was like, if you're going to adapt my movies, I'll sign the contract, but my lawyer's going to put in that. I'm going to tell you what the fuck to do with it because she wasn't done writing the books yet. So this film uh, for the March 24th, March 24th, 2002, 74th Academy Awards was nominated for Best Art Direction, for which it lost, Best Costume Design, for which it lost, and Best Original Score. For which it lost my first time watch of this film was all the way back on episode 130 or not even 100 episode 34 <laughs> that's over 110 episodes ago and here's what i'll say robert i'm gonna speak your language my appreciation for this franchise and this movie has only grown thanks to a certain visit to universal studios florida because the frozen Butterbeer bypassed my brain and went straight to my heart. Cat, have you ever had frozen butterbeer? I Holy have. Holy yeah. shit. I don't know what that shit is. <laughs> I had it, I've had it hot, I've had it cold, whatever. The frozen butterbeer in the in the fucking subtropical temperatures of Orlando parking lot, Florida, is uh, <laughs> amazing. The Diagon Alley recreation, the Hogwarts Express, the 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 fucking uh, uh, bar, the tavern that uh, my boy Robbie Coltrane takes Harry Potter in. I, I had bread pudding in there, which was delicious, by the way. I've eaten giant turkey legs. I didn't give a <laughs> shit about Harry Potter. The, these movies, these, these, the books came out when I was already kind of past the age, and it was, it just was not, it didn't hit my, it was like the people about three years younger than me were like the people it really hit. So I didn't give a shit about this movie. The first time I watched the movie, I didn't give a shit about it. But I didn't even want to rewatch it. But when I rewatched it, I was like, I've been there. I've been there. I've been to that wand <laughs> shop. I've been to Diagon Alley. I've been in that bank vault. I've been in, you know, I've seen that troll I've, or that the dwarf or that goblin or this, that, whatever. And uh, I like this movie now just because of a theme park attraction at uh, 
Universal Studios Florida, premiering in Orlando, May 1990. Come see the stars and ride the movies. The Hogwarts Express is such a cool little, because it's really just, it's not even a ride. It's literally just like to get you from one park, side of the park to the other, because they fucked up in the planning of it. They're like, Harry Potter land is in two different places. And they're like, okay, we got to get you from one place to the other. And they put an LED screen in a window and have a frog jump around. But it's so cool. I love it. I love Universal Studios Florida and the Harry Potter stuff is out of this world. Out of this world. So now I like this movie better. That's 100% my take. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't wear a robe. I didn't get a wand. I didn't do any of that. Kat, do you have a robe? I don't have a robe. Do you have a wand? Nope. Wow. But, But I will say um recently i don't know why i just got this if wanted to i guess nostalgia i was like i really want to build legos mm-hmm. you know um so and i was like i've always wanted it i always kept seeing the 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 dumbledore castle or the hogwarts castle so like in succession like last uh, christmas um last december i was like i'm gonna buy all the lego sets so i bought like the little um the the flying car one and then uh, my husband got me the castle one but then I saw this like Lego builder who does his own custom one and built like all of Hogwarts and I'm like I don't know if I'll get to that level because I would be like I don't have the time for it but um, I've been really obsessed Uh. with that one Um, and so I'll speak to more about that but yeah I I don't have any of the and I but I do have a lot of like little things like my mom will still get me Harry Potter things (laughs) my friends will like it's just one of those kind of things like I don't know. It's just, it, it's sort of like Lord of the Rings. It was very foundational. And I can't believe thinking about it. Like I got Harry Potter, <laughs> this Harry Potter, yeah. the first one and Lord of the Rings, same year. Uh, you know, the first film it's all the in the same month. year at the age of 13. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All at the same. And I, and I remember yeah. the buildup yeah. for those. Cause I remember really liking yeah. that the book I was in fourth grade when I read the book. And then, so this would have been three years later. So like, imagine like reading something and then being like, Oh my God, they're making it. Um, and so it was just like a, an an explosion of nerdness, like wizardry, <laughs> yeah. in different in different yeah. um different realms. And I, I don't think I ever compared them in a way. Like yeah. I never thought yeah. like, oh, I'm only going to be Lord, you know, like sort of like Ensign Bakshi. Where I was like, I never chose one. Like I liked both of them. And I don't think in my in at least in my realm, people weren't like, oh, if you like Lord of the Rings, you have you can't like Harry Potter. I think we were still in that age where we could like both or people. I think more people probably liked Harry Potter yeah. my age and then like they, they had to grow to like um, Lord of the Rings or not. Um, Cause I feel like there's always conversations, conversations around like Harry Potter was more of like the, but it's just so different. Like it's not, no, you can't even really compare can't. them. Well, <laughs> the only comparison that I, anybody ever drew for me was there was a girl in, in high school who uh, was a little bit younger than me. And, she congratulated me on seeing the Lord of the Rings. And she was like, that's good. That's good that you saw that. And I was, I was like this, I didn't really know this person. So that was really weird. And I was like, <laughs> why? And she was like, because Harry Potter has magic in it. But Lord, of the, I was like, yeah, but Lord of the Rings has magic in it. And she was like, yeah, but Lord of the Rings is God magic. It's a Christian novel so you're that's good because it's actually God is behind that oh, the source behind the magic that's in that <laughs> book, which is in that movie, and Harry Potter because it's witchcraft, it's demonic. Has exposed certain things like rock and roll music, 
Dungeons and Dragons, marijuana, and even the New Age movement, and now we feel there's another attack upon our society. If I say something like wicked witches and demon clouds and spell books and even the zone of eternal evil, what comes to mind? What do you think of? Do you think of a coven of witches or a seance? Watch now. Wicked witches, demon clouds, where do we start, Mr. Van Gogh? You start by getting that spell book before those foolish witches destroy the world. We've got some witches to splat. You coming with us, Mr. V? I'm afraid I cannot. Like we're not into witches either, sir. We'll stick with you. <laughs> if you wish, I'm going to hunt down that demon mist in the zone of eternal evil where the darkest spirits are trapped. <laughs> Like on second thought, send us a postcard. <laughs> Weren't there? There were also like parents groups, like you know, banning Harry Potter and all that stuff. And it's the bad. Yeah, there was a whole thing with that too. You know, there are a lot of people out there right now who are saying, "Oh, here go those Christians again. <laughs> you know, they're on another soapbox." Why should Christian parents be concerned about a, a film that's being sort of touted as harmless? Here we have a wizard. Harry Potter, a witch who goes to school with 350 other students to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, which has been repackaged as a reading incentive program promoted by Scholastic Inc., the publishers, in our schools. 32 million children a year are being reached by witchcraft repackaged. But if my kids are just going to enjoy this and they're not engaging in the practice of any of this, what's the harm? Well, the harm is, first of all, that witchcraft is being normalized to our children. For the first time in the history of the world, witchcraft is being given to children in a children's format, and children are seeing other children practicing it and say it's all right. Have you been to Diagon Alley? Have you put on a robe? Have you drank the butter beer? I've drank the butter beer. I've been to Diagon Alley. I've not put on a robe. I don't have Yeah, we're going to buy that. The Legos, wands are like I have a couple always... Yeah, they're crazy. So, so my introduction to this movie, and by extension, this franchise, I was, again, working, all my answers go back to AMC. I was working at AMC, and I remember, like, opening weekend or whatever with this movie, I was working concession, and I'd have people come up, like, <laughs> yeah. dressed in the robes with the scar on their yeah. all the glasses and all that. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what is, because I had heard of these books, but not really. Uh, and so I eventually checked it out, and, and wow. you know, again, I was 18 years old. I have a younger brother who's eight years younger than me, so he's basically the same age as Daniel Radcliffe in this movie. So he was on to the books, and those were like his favorite movies. I think he was Harry Potter for Halloween, like the following year, or like one of those. So it was something that was a big uh, in my household. Uh, so when I watched this for the first time, I, I immediately like, oh, okay, I get it. This is like the Wizard of Oz kind of wish fulfillment fantasy, like entering another world sort of thing. Like the Diagon Alley, the brick wall sort of mm. peeling back feels very much to me like. Dorothy stepping out of the house and everything goes from black and white to color sort of thing. Uh, so I, you know, I, I appreciated it that way as sort of a, a modern mythology. Uh, and it does, it, you know, it, it's funny that these two movies came out so close together mm -hmm. because they are both fantasy, but they're all, they're also both very different, like in the, in the audiences that they target. Like this is, this is the closest thing uh, I would say are, you know, the last couple of decades has to mm. the way the star Wars trilogy, uh, like, create like, like raised a generation of, of people in the 70s and 80s and and you know ongoing from there uh i did the the star wars movies on on cricket table podcast years ago and then the following year i did 
uh, the Harry Potter movies for that reason. And so uh, you have to sort of, I think, grade this movie a a bit on a curve because it puts child performances and such <laughs> such at the forefront. So cute. Hermione, and- Hermione, Hermione. Ooh, boy, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. How cute's the word I would use. She does, but like, she but if you, if you look at like the, well, I'll let Robert oh, she stinks. Yeah. No, and I was gonna say before we start <laughs> getting into all that, and I think you know Chris Columbus limited in scope filmmaker that yeah. he may be like he get he deserves a lot of credit that he probably doesn't get for overseeing all of this that me that john williams music uh you know and the way that the 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 world looks the tone everything like so much of this he he has to create a foundation and take those words and make them co- she who must not be names words and bring them to life in a way that you know struck a chord with most people that, that this became yeah. a what the predominant film franchise for a decade out thereafter. So I think it's important to kind of give him his props. I think the imaginative world that he builds though, is so excellently executed that it makes perfect sense to me that millions of young kids in 2001 would be obsessed with this film and would spend any amount of money to visit it in Florida and to dress like these characters and be these characters and be a part of this world. Because the thing is, it's not just that certain people are magic or certain people are God, Mm -hmm. uh, devil magic, I should say. It's that the world itself is magic. Mm-hmm. The world of Hogwarts and all the surrounding, like, it, like once you get once you get on that train, everything is magic. The candy you eat is magic. Everything's magic. Everything is whimsical. And and we, as the series progresses, and even as this movie progresses, to Cat, like you were saying, that magic also has a dark side, and things are there's danger and there's risk, and this, and I think that's what's really interesting is movie and therefore presumably the book doesn't present like magic even though these are kids as as a as a good force or even a neutral force it is it can be like the whole thing with like the mirror yeah where it's like he's just like you can never look at this mirror again i'm gonna take it away from you because you'll you'll waste away it was like like just to have the idea of these kids are going to go to wizard school and rather just be like silly and hijinks, which there is some of that. It's like, and also if you say this spell wrong, you will fucking die. And you'll burn in hell forever. It's like, <laughs> and the movie doesn't really shy away from that. Right. It doesn't really shy away that like there's a dark side to all of this and there's real risk. And these kids are in real peril and there's, there's real danger here and they will kill kids as this story progresses. And, that's a yeah. really kind of a weird, it's almost like Wizard of Oz returned to Oz. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very odd. Like, especially because it's Chris Columbus, you know, and it's just sort of like, there's John Cleese is a, I'm, I'm a headless ghost in the cafeteria. Oh, the dining hall. <laughs> and then by the end of it, you're like, I got yeah. Voldemort in my head and I'm going to yeah. kill you. And it's just like, what the fuck? um well recently it started in the pandemic i used to revisit these a lot um but not the whole series all in you know one go i would maybe watch this first one a lot because i i do i have a soft spot for the first ones especially this one feels um it's it's very magical and it's lighthearted because it is it's not we it's not um 
he's still discovering who he is and he's you know getting that le- like the letter to hogwarts and you're we are kind of discovering magic with him along with harry um as opposed to the other other characters who are so lived in and they like already have their world um and then you know there's like the christmas and there's a little bit of like it's like a sort of like nightmare before christmas you're like it's a little bit like you can do it in october watch it in october but also it extends through um december but re- like during the pandemic for some reason i would i, w- I was watching the things that were comforting for me um as opposed to like new things and one of the series that i revisited was harry potter and i thought it would be lord of the rings like oh lord of the rings i hold it to you know whatever and i found that i actually you know didn't revisit lord of the rings as much during the pandemic i was watching harry potter and ever since then like 2020 i have been like every i'll take like a month or two in between but then i'll just start harry potter and like watch it and i'll watch them like oh like one through whatever eight like over and over again like in a three month span like just like constant like when the eighth one stops i put the first one and like sometimes like what are you doing um but so in that i feel like i've seen like I, I think i have more of an appreciation for it as well because i think i used to see it as something that was like oh it's just you know magic whatever you know it's kind of like a kids thing that i watched and i'm nostalgic for it but as i watch every time i watch it i find something new the world is very layered it's it, and and like that spielberg comment where he was like oh it was it would be like a cash you know like a a for sure thing i think that kind of discredits chris columbus is like you know it's sort of like when someone makes a pilot episode like they are setting the tone if they don't set the tone correctly it could go off the rails and then like everyone else after that has to course correct so i think like while it's they would have had a built-in audience um because of all the like the books i don't think they would have stayed and we've seen that with other ya magical things like you know like the narnia one like that didn't continue (laughs) it wasn't a shoe in um and so it does like i think people don't give the harry potter franchise enough credit i think for like for what like it it seems easy because of what they were able to do and all the money and they kind of like maybe um allude like oh well it was like the kids that go and the parents that had to take them or whatever but i mean there is staying power like i've seen people also re-binging these um like i have and like there's a reason for that like yeah maybe they made their money in the first go in the first theater 20 years ago but like why do i continue to watch these movies you know like and 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 it's some like i've been trying to figure this out so it's funny when this episode came up because i was like oh i've been watching this over and over again what is it about this first movie that i love so much why does it still you know stand that test of time and it, it just captures the moment so well i think that like those 90s movies did which i mean he did home alone too which is also something i revisit every year so there is something while maybe it's basic whatever he uh, chris columbus really has that formula for getting like just having like a feel-good movie which i think some of those movies oftentimes get kind of um demeaned in a way because they're not complicated or they're not whatever but if any filmmaker tries to do that it's not easy and we've seen it fail like they don't capture the the vibe like you know you mentioned vibe earlier in one of the other movies it's really hard to nail like a simple very like feel-good movie and then in this one also having to build like the franchise but not knowing whether it was going to continue on and i do every time i revisit these going from the first one that's kind of lighthearted but has a little bit of darkness and then where we end up which it's such a nice progression you see like the kid actors you know they really like come into their own over the course of the series and things like that and you go back to this first one where they're just like you know trying to say their lines you know um but there's something magical about that too so i don't and and also from like a kid's perspective the fact that like there's no adults um there's adults there but like 
it, the kids aren't treated as like just kids, you know, like sometimes they are, but they, they are the ones taking control of their lives. They're like getting credit for, you know, um, you know, they're getting into these plots and things. And I love that. I think growing up and every time I see it, I'm like, Oh, it's so interesting. Like how I think that's why kids gravitated towards it and still do, because it's one of the only kind of things where there's not, um, I mean, now there's stranger, it kind of maybe also is like a precursor of stranger things in a way. Um, where kids were at the forefront of this property. But um, I don't know. I could say so many cool things about it. And I think it's just, it's the world building. It's the music. It's, um, and and looking, this one doesn't hold up as well as Lord of the Rings in terms of like production. Is that, you know, there is like the CG uh, Hogwarts castle in the back, but there's enough like balance of practical against like CG where you can like cling onto those and also like the magical pumpkins and the candles and things. And you're like, Oh, this is so cool. Um, so it was enough whimsy for me to be even at 13 where I knew like that stuff didn't exist to be like, well, maybe it does, you know, maybe I'm going to get my Hogwarts letter. You know, I still hope to this day, like I still get that, but um, I don't know. I, I just, I love it so much. And I think there's a reason why it's so continues to be bingeable for me, like on repeat to, um, the you know to the i don't know my my husband's like why are you doing this again <laughs> just like <laughs> why are you doing this to me <laughs> but i watch it on my own you know like he's not watching it with me but yeah like it's just my craft movie it's like it's just it's such a comfort movie like even more so than lord of the rings and i think that speaks um to the power of this you know beginning film the first one well lord of the rings is kind of like thematically kind of low-key depressing because it's like hey mm -hmm. men are really fucking fragile and they're gonna destroy the planet yeah and <laughs> And I it, was there when the race of men failed. Yeah. And it's like, me too. Me yeah. <laughs> too. Um, but yeah, but I think what's so interesting going back to what I was saying and kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, Kat, is that, and actually what you were say too, Robert, is that we have to want to go to Hogwarts. How many of those other YA adaptations you're like, mm. I don't want to be a fucking sorcerer's apprentice. <laughs> I don't want to be a vampire's buddy or whatever the fuck. The, I don't want to be Percy Jackson in the God Into of the Olympus. Yeah, I don't want to be in the Hunger Games, right? I don't want to. I don't want to offer myself as a tribute. Like I don't. I don't want to be a part of that world. But with this series of films, uh, and in particular this one, it's like you understand, especially as a kid. Like yeah, like I would want to like as scary at times as this is, you know, you know, the, the ghost and cast spooky castles and teachers that might be trying to kill you and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> I want to go to Diagon Alley. <laughs> yeah. You want to go like Hogwarts still seems there's enough whimsy and magic and fun there and affection there. And you want to be with Hagrid rest in peace to Robbie Coltrane. You know, it's like, Oh, ha Hagrid's so cool. And, um, you know, Richard Harris, rest in peace to him, you know, Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. It's like yeah. Dumbledore's like kind of this shady character, but he's also <laughs> like this sort of very loving grandpa, but he's kind of an asshole. Like, like I don't know. There's just I, I, I guess your point is like it's a deceptively complex world that is still and even in this one film, that it has texture to it because of its complexity, but at the same time is escapist enough and hopeful enough that you still could see yourself wanting to be a part of it. Yeah. And then watching Which the whole series, Oh, sorry, watching this whole series over again, there's the little nuggets that you realize like they had to put in all these movies and it starts from the first yeah. one and you're like, Whoa, that was amazing. 
which is, I think, boy, I'm taking shots today. But it's another <laughs> reason why Diagon Alley and all the other parts of Harry Potter that are at Universal are everything that Galaxy's Edge wants to be. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is, other than the fact that stuff looks worn and is kind of dirty and there's Muppets, there's really nothing to the worlds of Star Wars. Like, there's just like, okay, we're on this planet now. And it's like, okay, that looks kind of cool, but I don't want to be on that planet. I don't want to be on the fucking moon of Endor. I don't give a shit. I <laughs> certainly don't want to be on Tatooine. I don't give a shit. It's okay. I saw a spaceship. I saw the Millennium Falcon. I like the Millennium Falcon. I like to be on, on inside of it, but that's about it. Like, I don't, but it's like, I don't give a shit. I didn't give a shit about these movies or in these books. But man, you stick me in the middle of the fucking bank, and I'm like, oh man, there's a dragon up there. And when it blows fire, <laughs> I, you feel it on your face down at the street level, yeah. you know, and the weird, crooked alleyways and the just weird little shit in the windows. It's like moving around and the magic and the what and the this and the that. And it's like, and again, the butter beer. I cannot stress this enough. The frozen goddamn butter beer. <laughs> I drank it in January. Orlando is not that warm in January, FYI. Um, but I'm just sort of like, yeah, give me, give it to me, frozen baby. I just got off of uh, rat builds barges, Bluto's rat builds barges in January. I'm soaking wet. Give me a frozen butter beer. <laughs> um, I loved it, man. I, I, and that it synced for me, which is like this somehow, thanks to she who will not be named and the adaptation of this movie, that builds a world that you want to be a part of that yet still somehow feels like it has stakes. Yeah. Which is very unique. And that music, that music, the theme music. Oh. Yeah. John Williams did it again. This fucking guy. This fucking guy. He did it again. Because you're sort of like, because here's the thing. Even when I didn't care about Harry Potter, I couldn't deny that that little tune and all of his music is really good. Yeah. It's like Jaws, Star Wars, Superman, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Robert, um, Diagon Alley. Frozen butter beer. You Good prefer stuff. Percy Jackson. Let's hear what you have to say. <laughs> no, no. I uh, to to first of all to Cat's point earlier, it, the way that Chris Columbus directs these first two, it's just like it's it's like a warm blanket. He sends you yeah. out with the warm fuzzies. Both of these movies, the first this one and its sequel, end on a Hagrid note. This one ends with the, him waving the train off, and the second one ends with Hagrid's return to Hogwarts and everybody cheering and him getting all teary eyed. And then it, the way I view this franchise, because like I said, I've I've covered these all uh, in the past too. It's it's the way I see it is essentially the whole thing is like a it's a it's an allegory or metaphor for coming of age. Mm -hmm. So when you this is the innocence of youth. This is yeah. when you're young, yeah. you're protected. You're you know you have all these people, all these adults looking out for you. Little by little, that all kind of chips away on Harry Potter. Till mm -hmm. by the end, it's him facing Voldemort. And him laying his own life on the line and all that. So, so is, I, I love is it. Is Voldemort puberty? Is Voldemort? <laughs> it's when you graduate. Sure, it could be. It's adulthood. <laughs> it's adulthood. It's the real world. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, ah. Fine. It's your debt collectors. Yeah. It's actually, it's the federal government for your student loans going, I can touch you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly. So it's like the promise, the possibility of what awaits you as opposed to later it gets with the reality of things. You know what? You guys are saying that, but you know what's actually the fact that like he goes to the vault and they're like, here's a bunch of money. Oh my God, I love that you have part. all the money you need. <laughs> yeah, so all your great. bills are paid for. And he's like, I'm going to take all of this fucking gold in my pocket and buy all the candy on the trolley. Yeah. And then, you're, then by the end of it, you know, he's got a fucking noseless ancient old man who's trying to like 
<laughs> break his wand and molest him and you're just like oh yeah but yeah i think you're that's to your point is like wouldn't we want to go back to where like somebody yeah. else has to pay all of our spends? yeah <laughs> and, and the he's like what do you want to do with your money i want candy and it's like yeah. okay all right like the, your biggest decision is what candy do you eat yeah and, yeah i'm not i'm half being facetious but i think you, both of you have struck on yeah. that that that's exactly right like this captures like this because so what I was saying is the world is dangerous, but like the adults are kind of keeping the danger at the edge. As we're not much really as talking can, about yeah. that. Yeah. And you're right, Robert. They're kind of like, well, well we're, not, we're not really going to talk about that. And the, the other thing too, is they're all keeping secrets from the kids of how dangerous the world really is and how bad and dark it really is. And like you were saying about, about Dumbledore being an asshole. It's like at the end of almost all these movies, he's like, all right, Harry, here's the cards on the table. I should have told you this a long time ago, but that's this is what that, was really going on. Yeah. But that's what growing up is right. That yeah. your mom's sort of like well turns exactly. out i was actually married before and i yeah. never told you and, <laughs> right and it's, it's just sort of like wait what what <laughs> because parents like it's parents with the obligation to hide the nasty parts of history and the world for their children and you're and you have your friends your friends are your family and 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 yeah. you do yes. everything you're you know as much as like the adults are are you know the secrets or whatever um the kids are also they're like oh we know better and like i always i thought i knew better you know <laughs> and yes. then you realize you don't and then like and then it kind of comes to a head at the end but yeah so it's just like it's such a and then the girl you should have married ends up marrying your best friend and you don't even see each other hardly ever <laughs> yeah, <all>. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well harry potter we just uncovered the secret of the philosopher and sorcerer stone it's our childhood that reminds me of and innocence and the threat of the loss of innocence thanks to puberty. Robert brought that all together. Voldemort is your burgeoning sexuality. <laughs> okay. Um, Robert, this is going to be your number three if my calculations are it correct. It is. What's I had the score? It at third with an 8.1. It gets a really strong start to this franchise. I think there are better chapters ahead. Um, but like I said, Chris Columbus lays so much groundwork. The kid performances are overall oh, fine to whatever. Uh, I think that there's, they have a charisma, even at this age. I mean, I think Emma Watson, Daniel Radcliffe, and some of the other kid actors have a charisma that they then learn how to, you know, <laughs> to a certain point that you can learn how to act, but you have to, the charisma is sort of innate. And I think they have that yeah. already at this point. And they balance it out by surrounding them with Richard Harris, Maggie Smith, Alan Rickman, like right. some of the best <laughs> right. actors to, to right. ever do it. And so that, that I think this movie, yeah. the, the effects, most, some, some of them are a little bit dodgy. That uh, troll, troll, but it was like, we shit. Yeah. yeah he's kind of like, I kind of love it now. I'm like, oh, that's so bad. But I'm like, you know what? Like, what <laughs> There's I'm also like, like the rubber people thing that yeah. like, you see, yeah. like, even in the original yeah. Spider Man, which came out the year after this, like yeah. when Neville's on the, the broomstick yeah. and he's like all rubbery. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's an air of kind of Scooby Dooiness mm -hmm. to this yeah. franchise, which I think is really fun. So they're like mysteries first and foremost, but set in a magical world. Uh, the first one also is kind of bogged down by having to do so much of the exposition mm -hmm. where. I feel like half of Daniel Radcliffe's performance has been like, what is that? And who are these people? And where am I? And what is going on? Um, what am I? But, that, but that's the audience so, as well. Like, where are we? What are right, we doing? It yeah. is. It's true. It, it's, it's, it's almost faithful to the novel to a mm -hmm, fault where mm -hmm. you can like set your watch to and the chapter change happens right there. Yeah. And then that's chapter two, you know, Quidditch. <laughs> chapter three is this or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's so, uh, you know, linear in that way, which later on they sort of learn to grow beyond that. and 
uh, be a little more creative with their adaptations. But I think I think it's a really strong start. Yeah. Another coming of age yeah. movie for me because I, I loved Oliver, uh, the Quidditch dude. <laughs> I was like, loved him so there much. Yeah, big yeah, crush. Um, you weren't a Rupert Grint uh, fan? No, I think they were like friends for me. I didn't like maybe maybe as he got older a little bit. Yeah. Like towards the end, I was yeah. like, oh, OK, maybe the redhead thing, you know, but um, <laughs> and then like Harry, I think I think Harry did a good job of just being like, you know, like the friend, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because yeah. I think if he was like the leading, because there was always the supporting characters, like there's like the um Cedric in the fourth one, where you're like the those that you kind of fall in love with, and then yeah, they hurt yeah. you a little bit more. Because if you if you had that feeling with Harry, I think it wouldn't have worked as much. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing too is like Harry, Harry as the film progresses, kind of becomes kind of a shithead. Yeah, yeah, because he and starts so complaining like, yeah. all the time, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah just like it's ah, funny because one talking? of those movies, it's like also yeah. it is very much like a. Like you were saying, the the childhood passage because one of the movies, like they're all just like teenagers. But I think I was at the Whiny. same age. Yeah, yeah, they were like the had the emo haircut. But I think I was at the same point as them, so you don't notice it. And then when I look back now, I'm like, because the fourth one's actually not my favorite. And like, um, my husband loves it because it's a dragon one. But I was like, I always look yes. back and I'm like, and then I know now it's because they're all teenagers whining. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> all right. So this is if my if my math is correct. This is also your number three cat. Yes, it is. And I have it as an 8.5. All right. Well, I have yet to reveal my uh, score. So let's do it in the recap. Let's start at my number five. Uh, the worst of the week is for me, Shrek with an 8.0. Cat gave it a 6.5. It's also <laughs> her worst of the week. So we're ways away there. And I'm still somehow above RYJ, who gave it a 7.5. So we all agree it's the worst of the week, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the fact that that's not even, look, our ratings are pretty decent considering that's the yes, worst of the week. These are five arguably good yeah, movies, yeah. varying yeah. degrees of good, well, but. You could have been here last week when we covered Planet of the Apes and uh, Hannibal and uh, <laughs> a bunch more shit. Okay, um, coming in at number five. Four for me is Harry Potter. It's my number four. I give it an 8.0 out of 10. That's uh, five points away from Cat. It's your number three. You gave it an 8.5 out of 10. And then Robert, an 8.1. So you and I, we're all kind of aligned, but you and I, Robert, are the most aligned. Mm -hmm. uh, my number three is actually Monsters, Inc., which I give an 8.5 to. Uh, that is your number four, Cat, 8.0. And your number four, Robert, 8.0. So we're pretty close there. Uh, that puts me at my number, what, two, I think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My number two is Ocean's Eleven, which I give an 8.75 out of 10. Cat gave it a nine out of 10. That's her number two as well. But Robert's number one is Ocean's Eleven a 9.25. So we're all right. Again, same <laughs> range, um, slightly different placement. And then that brings us, of course, to the Lord of the Rings, which is my number one, which I give a 9.02, which is eight points lower than Cat, who made it her number one, which is a 9.8, which is... Two points lower than Robert, who gave it a 9.2 and made it his number two. 
So if I had to select who's ranking, this is really fucking hard because they're really close. <laughs> yeah. Whose ranking list I most agree with? Shit. So close yet so far. <laughs> one, one, two, yeah. four, three, three. Um, do give more weight to the the first ones we agreed on? <laughs> well, do I give more weight to the six point five versus the eight? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or the 9.8 versus the 9, but when I'm right there with Robert, the 9.2, damn. See, and Robert and I are, what, what you, you get Harry Potter, what, 8.1, Robert? Yeah, yeah. I gave it an 8.0. Oof. <laughs> oh, boy. I think that we're, I would almost have to, I, I almost have to side with Robert, but with this exception, our number one and number two are the, are pretty far apart. And here's why 9.25 versus 8.75 doesn't seem like it's that far off, mm. but that's like a whole, what would that be? A, 0.5. Yeah. 0.5 half point yeah. off, which it's a pretty big deal when you're talking about one versus two, right? Right. So an 8.75 versus a 9.25. When my highest score of the week is only a nine, that's Lord of the Rings. I think being added to the guest list is Robert's Ocean's Eleven. And being added to the short list is Cat's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Robert. <laughs> I thought so too, because Robert and I are pretty close, but it, the most important thing is that number one, and that's where we're the farthest apart. That's the only place where we actually kind of diverge from each other, score-wise. Right. This so, is a tough um, one, though. Those first two are just, oh, they're so good in their tough. own ways. Like, it's just. Oh. Yeah. So that means Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone eliminated. From cinematic history again. Shrek eliminated from cinematic history again. Monsters Inc. eliminated from cinematic history, which brings us to Oceans 11 and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and I will give you an update here in one quick second of what, because this is a final episode before last movie standing spring blast. So that means our guest list is. Matt F. Basler's choice, which is Police Academy from the Police Academy franchise. Sam from Movie Reviews and 20 Q's choice of Sudden Death, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Billy from We Watch a Thing said that the best Tarantino movie of all time is Reservoir Dogs. Brad from The Cinema Guys said that the best movie from the top grossing movies of 2001, 10 through 6 was Pearl Harbor. And RYJ says the best movie from the top five highest grossing films of 2001 is Ocean's Eleven. Police Academy, Sudden Death, Reservoir Dogs, Pearl Harbor, Ocean's Eleven. I feel pretty good yeah, about that Ocean's Eleven's chances there. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> I think that's a no-brainer. Which means now we're going to go over to my short list, which I chose Police Academy 3. I don't remember the subtitle. I also chose Sudden Death. I chose Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the greatest 
Tarantino movie ever made. And of the bottom five top ten grossing films of 2001, I chose Jurassic Park 3. (laughs) (laughs) There's no good choice in that batch. No, 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 no. And I agree with Kat. We both love the same thing. As a old school convert, old school disciple of Peter Jackson versus a new convert in the Church of the Shire, (laughs) the Fellowship of the Ring. What will our competitors decide? Who will our competitors be? You just have to tune in to find out. It is Last Movie Standing, Season 7.1, Spring Blast, coming soon to a podcast near you, right here at Binge Movies. Cat, Robert, get your plugs in. I've kept you here for seven and a half long hours. Extended cuts. I was just about to make that joke. Cat beat me to it. it. Yeah. What do we think of this movie year and where can we find you guys? What are you up to on the internet? Um, Yes, I actually, it was was a nostalgic blast going back to 2001. Lots of feelings, um, lots of good crop and it was a good, I'm always on a good crop with you guys. I've never been like in a, in a bad <laughs> one. You gotta get, you gotta bring me back when there's like kind of a shitty. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I loved it. Thanks for taking me back to 2001. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Things Cat Loves. Yeah, what do you got? What do you do in uh, in the world of uh, creation? What do you create? Where are you writing? Where are you podcasting? What movies are you working on? What do you got going on? Yeah, I'm a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I just uh, finished Sundance, so you'll find reviews um, a little bit all over the place. And my usual ones, um, Shuffle, a lot of next ones, um, various um, places. But yeah, all over the place. <laughs> gotcha, Robert. What about you, man? You've started relaunched your podcast uh, last year, kind of switched some formats, and yep. now you're doing franchise detours and you're producing 50 million different things. <laughs> Uh, what do you got well, going on? Where should people find you? What are you most excited about? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. And uh, like I said, I think this was an interesting year. It really contextualized how 2001 was like the cross section where now everything is starting to be more CG. Everything is more franchise driven. Yep. And it's you can really kind of see the seeds of that with Harry Potter, with Lord of the Rings, with Shrek, uh, where everything is heading again, for better or worse. And uh, I host uh, for Crooked Table Productions. I have Close Watch where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. I'm actually doing a movie musical theme this uh, this year. So uh, by now, by the time this goes live, people will be able to hear at least Little Shop of Horrors, which I will have, I'm recording uh, actually tomorrow as of this recording. And then I have In the Heights in the works as West Side Story. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of other ones that are in the hopper, have yet to be recorded. Uh, and then for Franchise Detours, uh, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. The next mega series I'm doing is Planet of the Apes. Jason, we need to, we need to talk and schedule that. We're going to get you on there somewhere. Yep. Uh, and then we're doing X-Men later this summer, which talk about a franchise that like is all <laughs> over the place. Um, so uh, that people can find all of both of those shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, uh, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. And I'm on Twitter at CrookedTable. Support, leave them stars, all the places you need to leave them stars. Give them money if you can. Subscribe, all that stuff. Smash like buttons. Do everything you're supposed to do to support independent creators. These are two of the all-time greatest guests 
in the history of binge movies. And it was, I'm so glad I got you both on in this new season, the new year. And we'll have to do it again in the not too distant future. Until next time, binge on. She's not a Christian. She could be a Jew and believe it in God. It doesn't matter. She, she's tampering in dark, sad and stuffed. Yes, yes, she did. The entire house is dark sided. She said her whole house is. She is dark sided too. Gargoyles, psychics, everything's ungodly. Dark sided. I'm glad you're home. Get the hell out of my house. In Jesus' name, I pray.